machine. Behind me, the lights at the Atlanta Fulton County Stadium have been dimmed and they're tearing the track down. Also torn down was Rick Johnson's win streak. It was halted at five. The question now is whether or not the confidence gained by Jeff Stanton by winning tonight will carry over into future races. To find out, stay tuned to ESPN as we continue to bring you the Supercross Series in upcoming weeks. For Gary Bailey, I'm Larry Myers saying so long until next week. A Pulp MX Network production. A series of the most exciting action imaginable. Welcome to the Leanne Re-Raceables on PulpMX.com. Mathis and Weege revisit the instant classics from yesteryear, spotlighting those historic moto moments that simply never grow old. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Lee at Re-Raceables podcast. Thank you for the feedback on these. Thanks for the downloads. Uh, subscribe to them as well on what your favorite podcast provider. Absolutely uh, loving to do these, and uh, they're a lot of fun, man. So today, it's 1989 Atlanta Supercross. Uh, I'm Steve Mathis, of course. Thanks to the folks at Liat, Maxis, and Blenzall for coming on board. As always, my partner in these uh, to bench race about Atlanta 89, the, the, uh, the, the, all the things that happened there, the things that could have happened there, the things that should have happened there, and everything else. It's Jason Wygant. What's up, Weege? Yeah. Hey, I love this. This race always will stand out in my memory. But I just want to tell everyone, this is not what you think. The 1990 Atlanta race has been discussed to death. I believe the 90 race is the best Supercross race ever. If every race was like that, we'd all be millionaires because the sport would be so much bigger. So normally, you hear about 90. However, I feel like 89 is actually really more pivotal in the history of the sport and is also a really good race. So this is actually 89. If you're saying I've heard enough about this 90 Atlanta that's not what we're doing today. Yeah, exactly. Ninety is a better race. Ninety's epic for sure. But this is uh, this is a transitional race in motocross history, and uh, and yeah, it's a really cool race to do it. Uh, the winner of the race, we'll, we'll, blow, we'll blow it out right out. It's Jeff Stanton, and he's going to join us later. Yeah, how cool is that? So I right. think the guest portion of this show, surprisingly, is proven more popular than we thought. They don't just want to hear from us. Shockingly, they want to hear from someone that was in the race. So we'll get Jeff on. However, however. In your own small way, Steve, you were in the 1989 Atlanta Supercross, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the story is, so uh, I'm from Canada, obviously. Never been to an American Supercross in my life. In 1989, my dad loads me up with, me, uh, with my 125 and my 80, and uh, we grab a guy named Kyle Piscor, my buddy from Winnipeg. We drive straight down to Florida, straight down to Miami, uh, Florida, to watch the Supercross uh, which was the week before the 1989 Atlanta race. So my first ever Supercross is 1989 Miami. It's the sand race. Uh, Tishner leads for a while. Damon has that uh, three crash or four crash uh, comeback. It's a, it's an epic race. We then travel from uh, Miami up into uh, Gainesville, uh, Gainesville uh, Croom area to ride at the sand pit out in Croom uh, all week long. Just uh, you know, break in the bikes and uh, we had I think they were brand new. Um, breaking the bikes, ride with everybody. So there were a lot of pros out there as well. And then we hit Atlanta on the way home the next week. Or maybe we might have uh, we might have stayed longer. I don't remember if we stayed went back to Florida or not. Anyways, so Atlanta 89, 
We were there also the week after Miami, and it was amazing to be at this race. It was really cold, as the uh, as the broadcast tells us a few times. Also, I raced Amateur Day week, and it was Saturday morning. I don't do you do you know that they used to be Saturday mornings? Because I tell people this, and they're like, "No, they were Sundays." And I'm like, "Nope." This one was this was a world sports race, I believe. Jerry West, I think, was world sports. Um, and it was Bill Saturday. West, yeah. Bill West, sorry. Yep. Uh, yep. And, and it was Saturday morning. The 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 the, uh, the riders meeting was at like five a.m. Uh, we had headlights for ca- from cars to to illuminate riders meeting, <laughs> and we just have to say this was a this was a, a monumental uh, moment in my life. Uh, we watched the race. You watched the race. Do you remember the the, the starting gate and the right hander and the first double, first turn double? Oh. So you remember that? Yeah, the, the massive it, double off the start. Right, yes. so this comes into play later in the race. Well, I was on my 80. Robbie Renard was in my class. I was on wow. the yep, I was on the line with Robbie Renard and, and probably some other fast guys. And I will never forget this. So I I following somebody, I don't know if it's Renard or somebody in the practice, and they jump that double out of the first turn on an 80. Dude. And I'm and I'm like, well, I guess I'm never gonna be a pro racer. Like I'm, I, I guess I'll never forget it. It was red clay and it was massive. And I'm like, there is no chance I'm jumping that. The dude in front of me launched it on an 80. I'm sure there were other guys doing it um, on an 80. And I had such a moment of clarity, Wygant, where I'm like, well, that's it. So uh, yeah, it was a very interesting moment for me in my life. Wow, wow, good for you. Although I have to say. The, it is hilarious the level of preparation that people had in those days. I mean, dude, had you written this is what February, March? Yeah, this is yeah. When was the last time you rode yep. before your Miami thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? No, nothing, nothing at all. Uh, well, we rode at Croom that week before Atlanta. I do, I do know right. that. Right. So basically, yeah. for the last maybe six days before this race, you right. had not ridden in probably like yeah. five months. Or right. Something? Right. Exactly. Okay. You were ready. It was amazing. So uh, I had a really moment of clarity in my life where I'm like, well, I'm not jumping that. And that guy is. So it's doable. And I'm not doing it. And so and there this is Raynard? I don't know. No, I don't know who it was. I, I, I lined up, I lined out next to Raynard on the starting line because I okay. knew who he was. Right. Um, yeah. But I don't know if who jumped it in front of me. No idea. But it was the guy who just went around the corner, went, yeah, on an 80. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess the pro supercrosser is never in my future. That jump is pretty big, even for the two fifties. I have to say, it's pretty legit. Well, I think it was just easy. say it's Renard, and, and next time you see no. him, tell him this story. He'd love it. Tell him. It. Uh, yeah. So a big moment for me. So hey, the folks at Liet, Liet.com, please check it out. Whether it's the Flex Lock boots, whether it's the nine point five, eight point five helmets, the six point five Velocity goggles. You know who wears uh, Liet? Uh, is uh, the Moto Concepts guys are all in Liet. Uh, the, the Nuclear Blast Yamaha guys are in Liet as well. You can't really miss that. They have that color right now going on. That the the um, I don't know what you'd call that. The the, the, the aqua, the mint, yeah, mint julep. Good. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's like some. It's like a blue green. Yes. Mish mish together, dude. The Nuclear Blast look is good, dude. Yeah, it's a strong look with the bikes and the gear and everything else. Yeah. I agree. So Liat.com for more information. The Liat goggles are bulletproof. They can take impacts like no other. The Liat 6.5 Velocity goggles offer outstanding clarity in all conditions. The Flex Lock boot is a three-year project with long-term development and testing using the pro athletes from around the world, including. Chris Kiefer, who helped develop this flex lock boot, uh, the 5.5 flex lock boot, and, of course, the 9.5, 8.5 helmets as well, completely redesigned. The 9.5 is carbon. The 8.5 is composite. uh, So please check that out. Also, thanks to the folks at Blenzall and Maxis on board with us as well. Um, So 
yeah, Atlanta, 89. It's, uh, it's a really pivotal race. So we'll set the stage here. So 89, RJ is the defending champion, Rich Johnson's defending Supercross champion. He goes out in 89. Now, he probably got a bit fortunate at Anaheim 1. Uh, O'Mara was winning, had a nice lead. He didn't get a great start, and O'Mara's bike broke. And that's where RJ famously says, Weege, on the podium. Uh, Team Honda won the race tonight. Uh, my Honda made it to the finish, and O'Mara Suzuki broke. Can you imagine yep. somebody doing that now? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, look, RJ is feast and famine. Like, when he does things right, like, he's so good at the promotional thing. Yeah. I think sometimes it does stuff that drives people nuts. But when he gets it right, he does stuff that no one else uh, has ever done. He's an amazing promoter. Like, sometimes people don't like that. But other times, man, it's yeah. So RJ's the man. He runs off with the first five wins of the year. He's got a, over a race lead in the points coming into this thing. Um, yeah, five in a row. If yeah. I remember coming into this race, I think the record either to tie or break was six in a row. Okay. So it was like, oh, man, is he going to break the all-time win streak record to start the season? And yeah. also remember, uh, Wardy, I think, got hurt at Anaheim? At Anaheim, yeah. yep. At Anaheim. So Johnson and Ward were really the top two guys at this point. And then, not like RJ... Who knows? He could have won five in a row, even if Ward was there, maybe. But with Ward out, uh, yep. it's definitely looking like it's all RJ all the time. And uh, Jeff Stanton is a newly signed factory Honda rider uh, from Yamaha. He had some good results at Yamaha. But I do remember thinking, Weege, like, huh, Stanton. Like, I didn't – he was good, but it wasn't necessarily like a no-brainer signing for, for Dave Arnold and Honda guys. No, Stanton's reputation at that point was pretty much built on the 500 Nationals. He was on a YZ490. I think he got second in points in 87. Yep. And then third in 88. So yeah, when they signed him, I was like, huh, he'll be okay. But I wonder if he gets on a CR500, maybe he could challenge RJ mm-hmm. in the 500 Nationals. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Supercross, I don't even think that even ran through my mind. Like, what could he do? Stanton had never uh, gotten a po- – the only podium he'd had in Supercross in this point was in 87 Daytona in the complete mutter. He got second behind Ricky Ryan. Um, other than that, he had never made the podium uh, before this race. And when he comes into it, into this race, um, as, as we talked to him about, uh, earlier, or as we talked to him later on, uh, when he comes into this race, he goes, uh, hold on one second, he goes two, four, four, two, three. So three podiums in the first five races uh, of the year, already, like, you know, already way surpassing. Now, look, maybe Wardy beats him if Wardy's there, maybe. But, you know, whatever. Uh, Wardy's not there. And no, this has already surpassed anything I think people thought that Jeff could do. Oh, yeah. It was definitely not like he was expected to be the second best guy in the series. And he, he was. And, honestly, Wardy does come back in the second half of 89. And they had some knockdown drag-out battles. It wasn't like Wardy was significantly further ahead. They were, yep. like, the same speed. Right. So uh, it was unbelievable the turnaround, and it led to you and I doing some bench racing about this because, look, RJ was good when he was on a Yamaha, but then he goes to Honda in 1986. I won't have this. Level. I won't have this conversation from you. I don't want to talk to you about this. It's never been brought up by anybody ever. Never. I'm willing to, I'm willing to have this conversation. I'm not. Okay? It's, like, it's like you a couple years ago saying, do we need to have a conversation about Daytona? Okay. Look, Rick Johnson, Jeff Stanton, two of the all-time greatest, legendary, awesome Mount Rushmore. JT would be mad about how Ra- Mount Rushmore works. But great, legendary, Hall of Fame riders, no doubt. However, when they got on Honda, they got so much better. And when you really look at this era of like 1982 to like the end of McGrath on Honda, Honda was so friggin' good. I'm like, is there a chance 
that they get a little Honda inflation in their results, but no one wants to dare say that because we love RJ and Stanton so much. But you had an excellent counterpoint to that. Well, yes. Okay, Other guys look, are on Honda. Look, you're right in a certain extent. I mean, Mickey Diamond goes from a 500 Husky, like top 10 in a watered-down 500 class. He's getting top 10s. Now he's on a Husky. Uh, he goes from that to, to 125 champion. Okay, George Holland uh, beats his head against the wall for 10 years on a Suzuki, switches to Honda, wins the championship. So you're right. However, when it comes to Supercross, Holland, Leesk, Diamond, they're on Hondas with RJ, you know, and Bailey and, and everybody else right alongside them, and they can't get it done. So No, it's true. Leesk, Jeff Leesk, is the ultimate answer to this because Leesk was in Stanton's spot the previous year. And if I, if I have this right, Leesk was like the second Honda 250 guy with Johnson. Doesn't really do anything crazy spectacular in 88. He's, he's okay. He's good. Yeah, he's good. He yeah. makes some podiums, yeah. And I think if I have this right, Leesk races the USGP, uh, the 500 USGP, which where would that have been? Hollister? I think Carlsbad's done by then. Uh, Carlsbad was done after 86. I believe Leesk races the GP and does so well that he goes to the GPs. Leesk is Australian. Um, maybe Honda isn't bringing Lease back either way, but either way, it opens up that second slot. Uh, and it's, yeah, right. Leask in 88 was not nearly as good as Stanton in 89. So yes, it is not just the bike, but I was getting a little worried because I'm like, man, it's like a 16 year run of Honda's being awesome. How much better were their bikes than everybody else? But you're yeah, right. Yeah, they were better. Other Honda guys yeah. didn't do what Stanton did. Yep. Yep. Uh, absolutely. So I I don't really want to have it from you. I I, okay. I just don't. But right, but I, there's a Honda bump, but it's it's you know not a doesn't just do it right. I think maybe 125 class it was more so. The motor was ridiculous. 125 nationals were ridiculous. But yes, yeah, so you're saying in 250 Supercross, right? These guys um, are good. Couple more things about this race. The side notes to this race before we get into the telecast because I have a question to you about the broadcast because I can't figure this out. But okay, a um, couple other things. So my hero growing up was Ross Peterson and Mark Barnett, because I wrote Suzuki 80s for a long time. And I loved the bomber down in America, and I loved Rollerball, you know, because he was the Canadian uh, goat. And so I love Barnett. So I always was uh, pissed that Barnett kind of just, I mean, I felt like in his last year at Cowie, the Suzukis were piles by the end of his time there. The last year at Cowie, he uh, won a Supercross. He won Atlanta. Speaking of Atlanta, he went 2-2 in 85 in that dumb two-moto format. And then he won a couple of nationals uh, against Dogger, but uh, national motos, I should say, against Dogger, but then really was powerless to do much about it. So he disappears, just gone, right? My hero is gone, and this is just like nobody talking about it. It's just one of those things that pisses me off always in our sport back then, right? There's no internet. There's no Wygant to go run around and find out what's going on with Bomber. Of course... Uh, there also is no way to us find out what's going on with Blake Baggett, so maybe nothing's changed since 1985. <laughs> Anyways, so Barnett's my hero, right? He's coming uh, back in 89. He comes, he he rides uh, uh, the Winter Series in 88, does pretty good, gets a ride with Tough Racing, Dave Analuck, mm -hmm. and Tough Racing. He's coming back! And of course, you know, he retired when he was like 25, right? Which is insane. Dude, that's way back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But So he's only... 27, 28, whatever it is. You know what I mean? In 89. So he's coming back. Uh, so in 89, uh, he's on a Suzuki. He's number 101 because that's what he would be, and that's what Phil should be, by the way. Uh, past champion coming back in. 101? I think he's 101. Or is he 111? 
100 and 111 you know have traditionally I, been. I'm, I'm not sorry. sure that he's 111. He's 111. Oh, that's way more like it. Yeah, he's 111. Yes. Uh, no disrespect. I mean, Townley right. and Ping 101s. We're just saying the former champions coming back is generally yeah, yes, 111 yeah. or 100, something like that. Yep. Okay. So I'm. I go to Miami 89. He doesn't have a great night. You know, he, I, I don't even know if he's making mains. Like, it's not going well. It's not It's not good. And, and and Bomber was more of an outdoor guy than a Supercross guy anyways, and the tracks have really taken a big step forward in 86 and 87. You look at 85, they start being a little bit gnarly. 84 is just doubles and singles, right? It's just whatever. So um, he's not adapting well to these big tracks. Anyways, smash cut to me riding at Kroom. I'm just knee balls deep in sand here on my 80 riding this sand track and the fucking bomber goes around the outside of me. Yes, he's there. He's around. No idea. He was there. No idea. He's there is when he passes. you. Yes. Yes. I stop. I grab the brakes. I I just, oh my God. Like bomber is here. Uh, He's doing motos. So I find out, I, I, Ride my 80 around. I look, see where they're parked and everything else. And, you know, I'm not going to go up to him. And I, I'm you know, not going to be too scared to do that. Uh, his mechanic throws a set of those Illuminite, Lancer Illuminite bars in the trash. Bomber probably bent them with his hands because he was just so gnarly. Just so gnarly. And uh, I immediately grabbed them out of the trash and, and run away on my 80 at some point. No way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anyways. <laughs> uh so Bomber is coming back, and I, he passed me at Kroom, and I have his bent handlebars, and I'm, I'm so stoked on Mark Barnett coming back. And he's going to come back. He's going to rightfully claim his spot amongst the greats and, and everything else. But it, it, it didn't go well, and we'll talk about that in a second. But, uh, yeah, I was. this is a very big moment for me to have Barnett pass me on the outside at Kroom. Uh, yeah, that, that would be. Um, and it's a very motocross-like thing. It, even I mean, it's going to happen less now. We know that it's not like uh, these dudes are going to Kroom. Uh, but it is the weird thing, you know, in California at the public tracks, it's a very motocross thing where this does happen. Like nobody has stories of, I was playing at the local Y and magic Johnson was just there and he (laughs) dunked on me. Like that does not happen. No, no, no. And, 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 you know, I told you how fast AC was going last year (laughs) because how fast he blew by me at Glen Helen. Right. So you're right. So where's the bomber blowing by you at Kroom compared to AC? Oh, similar level? Similar level. Yeah, similar level. Um, okay. Good so, analysis. Okay. So smash cut to this broadcast. We both watched it. Um, we both wanted to get our feedback. Again, I was there in the stands. I've, you, I've, I've watched this race 20 times, as have you. But this is weird, Weed. So I go on YouTube to watch this thing, and it's Larry Myers by himself calling the action the 250 main event. So – I'm like, wait, I know I've seen the heats from this thing. I know I've seen this thing before. Uh, a good buddy, Tony Blazer, contacted him. He sends me over a link. Now, this is this David Stanfield, who's a Supercross announcer guy, calling calling it the Southern Supercross Series. Uh, now, challenge. Chal- Supercross Challenge. What, what, what's going on, Weech? Okay, here's what I'm trying to figure out. Yeah, I don't – okay. So, um, Supercross had always – Stop me if you've heard this story before. Supercross has always had a very checkered history of the promoter <laughs> and the yes. sanctioning body throughout its time. Yeah. And uh, one time, Roy Jansen, who has worked on both sides of that ledger, promoter and sanctioning body, he even told me, he's like, yeah, Supercross would always run on like a seven-year contract. So you could guarantee like every seven years, everything would get blown up. Right. So 
Uh, this is supposed to be about Atlanta 89, so I'll try to make this quick as possible. By 1988, Supercross is like imploding from the inside. I think in 84, it imploded, right? Where it was like two separate series. Yeah, yeah. There was a, the AMA series was actually only three races. Yes. And one and of them being at Talladega. Yeah, Talladega and Daytona, I right. think. Something like that. Yeah. And then the rest of the series was run by a group called InSport. And then we kind of historically think of the all the races combined, not those AMA ones at Talladega, as being the championship then in 88, it starts to implode again, and then Mickey Thompson takes over the races at San Diego and uh, Anaheim, and they're not part of the AMA series. So if you look in the record book, in 88, there is no Anaheim because it didn't count for points, mm-hmm. even though it was an Anaheim Supercross in every other way. Same stadium, same riders. Uh, so in 80, I guess end of 88, if I remember this from Cycle News, the promoters are like, dude, we got to put our differences aside. We got to figure this out. And by the way, Mickey Thompson gets murdered <laughs> <laughs> yes. In 1988, yes, I'm not going to get into that because there are multiple takes on how that happened and why that happened. But either way, I think the sport was like, we got, we got to fix this. It was like a bunch of just renegades running this thing. Yeah, it was nuts. Yeah, well, I think the way it worked was say out of 16 or 18 rounds, it was like four different promoters had four or so races each. Yeah, so there was just wasn't any symmetry to it at all. So I believe at the end of 88, if I have this right from Cycle News, they all kind of got together and said, we got to get it together. <laughs> so. They kind of reunite. They get this Camel and Coors outside sponsorship money, which is huge. I think they buy time on ESPN to get all the races on ESPN for the first time ever. Um, So the whole program is much more dialed uh, than it was in 88 going into 89. With the sponsors, unification, TV package, that all makes sense. What I'm finding here on this other video. David Stanfield, yeah. The Southern Supercross. Race. Yeah, Challenge. at the very, very right. end, Steve, I don't know if you saw this, it names other events available in this series, and they all have weirdo names. Did you see this? No, because I, I, I watched the mains on Dave, uh, Larry Myers on YouTube, yes. and I, then I, I didn't watch the mains on the Blazer one. Right, so other titles available on this <laughs> extra long, I guess, VHS tape maybe okay. that they had. The Western America Classic Supercross, the Pacific Northwest Special, California Special, Sunshine State Spectacular, oh, Texas Super Challenge, Motor City Challenge, Eastern Super Challenge, and Ultimate SX Challenge. So my <laughs> guess is they had this plan of we've got these sponsors, we got TV, we're gonna give these events cool names. I don't to make know. them seem bigger. It sounds like know. it sounds like someone did a side deal with Stanfield's production company for to get these races done and just pocketed cash on the side, which would fit perfectly with the Supercross promotion history. You know what? Yeah. I think you probably just without any verification, you probably just nailed it. Yes, I, 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 it's bizarre. So, um, so okay, so Larry, the Larry Myers version on YouTube, that's that ESPN. Yeah, that's Larry going to Chet Burks in Atlanta. And doing the voiceover after. It's uh, Lou Seals. Lou Seals, uh, sorry. Seals Co., which started with uh, Moto World. And that, I mean, that's a podcast in and of itself. Um, The show Moto World, which I don't know if you had that in Canada, Steve. Um, No. the first. Yeah, we saw a little bit of it. We didn't get it, but I saw it here and there. Yeah, so the production company that started Moto World, it's probably obvious when Supercross is ready to be on TV weekly. That's the production company they go with. It's all based in Atlanta. Larry Myers has been the guy for a while. And I have to say, when you watch this back, it is Larry Myers by himself. It's kind of unfair, but he does an awesome job. Yeah. He pumps this thing up. I mean, mm-hmm. I have Larry, Wires hard, Larry Myers hardwired into my brain from watching all these races. Yeah. Unbelievable yeah. how good he pumps up this action. Yeah, it, it's amazing. So two different broadcasts. Uh, neither one of these include the 125 main. 
We are unable to watch the 125 main anywhere. Uh, just know that Damon Bradshaw, a young Damon Bradshaw, one week after that Miami spectacular race, uh, took off and led every lap and won the race. And Ty Davis got second, Kurdowski third. And shout out to yep. Carl Valancourt, Canada's own Carl Valancourt for a fifth. So just All know right. that. Uh, and okay. also, by the way, the Lee at Reraceables, brought to you by Maxis and Blenzall. We have categories, as always. If you're if you're brand new to the show, we got categories. We have uh, uh, we break this thing down. It's uh, uh, who really won the race, who's that guy award, the Lit Kid award, where's JT, and the Jacob Marsak award for the rider that did the best without you even realizing it, hence named after Jacob Marsak, who got third at Daytona one year, and nobody talks about it, and it's got to be amazing for him, for Jacob Marsak. So we have these categories. Uh, we also have Blends All on board, and uh, thanks to the folks at Blends All. We just play a little trivia game. What is former factory rider Michael Essie? Jerry Robin and two of the East Coast private heroes, Hunter Slauger, all have in common. Okay, so we're taking Jerry. Jerry. And Michael Lessie. Yep, and Slauger. And, tr- and trying to figure out what they have in common. Yep. Dude, I do not know. I, I, do, I don't even want to start guessing what Jerry and Michael Lessie have in common. They all choose Blenzol, the number one brand when it comes oh. to two-stroke oil. Also has top-level riders using Blenzol four-stroke engine. Make no mistake, nothing outperforms, out-lubricates, or smells better than Blenzol's full line of two-stroke and four-stroke products. Remember Jerry, two races ago, had a massive Blenzol logo on his jersey? Do you remember that? No, I did not see that. Okay. And then, uh, of course, Hunter Slauger is uh, the, uh, the Blenzol guy stepped up and helped him, too, as well. Um, he was pretty good. He's been pretty good this year. And yeah. since you're a quad guy and you love GNCC, uh, what rider what rider broke Walker Fowler's streak of winning the GNCC opener six years in a row at this year's Big Buck at round one in Big Buck? Oh, dude, I totally know this. I totally know this. Yeah. It's Bryson Neal. Yeah, he won the opener at South Carolina. He's battled Walker hard the last couple of weeks. Is he teammates and- or is he a different brand? Is he blue? Uh, I believe he's the Yamaha guy, not on the same team. Okay. Um, it's hard to tell with quads these days. Uh, Walker right. is like the only guy that has like some level of factory sport, so his is a blue Yamaha. Uh-huh. Most of their guys just run whatever color they want because well, they're not getting sport. Bryson Neal. So Bryson Neal won. Yeah. Yeah, and he and switched he to Blenzol. Switched to Blenzol. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So. Yep. Winners choose Blenzol clearly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's key because he's on a four stroke. So we always pump up the Blenzol, that old school, you know, caster smell yes. of the premix and stuff like that. But they're really pushing into the line of four strokes also. And I'll tell you what, a quad in the woods, dude, Steve, they just run pretty much <laughs> wide open at red line uh, the I'm whole sure. time. I'm sure they do. Uh, to yeah. learn more about Blenzol, uh, go to for the full line of 2T and 4T racing lubricants. Visit Blenzol.com. Follow them on Instagram at Blenzol as well. So they're helping out privateers. They're helping out quad gods. And, uh, and of course, they're helping out the 800 as well. So, um, all right. Look, uh Atlanta 89. So la- the week before, Suzuki's Ronnie Tishner, who I feel is massively underrated in sort of motocross history as far as his talent goes. Uh, the week before this race, uh, Ronnie Tishner led, I don't know, six laps, eight laps, ten laps, whatever it was in Miami. He led a long time, crashed on the triple. Uh, Atlanta 89 does not go as well. Tishner goes down in the heat race in the first turn. And- no, 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 no. In the main. In the heat race, oh, he rides awesome. He and Cooper. I'm sorry, have, you're, you're yes. right. Uh, in the in the heat race, he and Guy Cooper have an unbelievable battle. And that's I'm like, it. Man, Titchener's really good. Like this is is this peak Titchener 
at this point, Dude, well, right he, here. He's coming off a 125 Supercross title, right? He's back on. He's now a full-time 250 guy at Suzuki. Uh, the the 89 RMs were actually pretty good compared to 88s um, mm-hmm. and 87s, so they were actually pretty good bikes. And yeah, Tishner battles Cooper. Coop has about I don't know 14 sketchy moments. I would yes. say in eight laps or something. In, yeah, yeah. Yes. But but uh, but Tishner and him go at it, and uh, so when you combine the main. In uh, at Miami, and you combine it with this heat race, you're like Tishner is on the gas. Yeah, he's an up and coming guy. Look out! Right, you know he's finding his stride in the 250 class. And then what happens? In the main event, uh, our buddy Tishner, who uh, I just helped raise some money for, by the way, because he crashed and hurt his back uh, a while ago. Uh, Tishner goes down in the first turn in the main event. There's yellows everywhere for a few number of laps. The the broadcast cuts to like Scott Stouffer from Cowie. And the Suzuki mechanics hauling his carcass off. Like, (laughs) back injury? Who knows? Neck injury? Who knows? They're carrying. Is your knee hurt? Here, let's pick you up by the legs and drag you. By the shoulders and the legs. And the camera, it's only like a three second clip. And Tishner (laughs) and Cowie guys are helping. Like, Scott Stouffer is like, let me help you. Uh, Yeah, there's two Suzuki guys. I think it's Titcher's mechanic and then Pat Alexander, the team manager. And. It says it's that is actually John Savitsky, the track yep. builder, yep. helping push the rider, pull the rider, carry yep. the rider off the track. Off the track, uh, it's amazing. Just poor Tishner. Uh, just and then they said later on they had good news. He was watching the race. So oh oh I, I yeah yeah Larry Myers fills us in on that. Um, there so, are so many uh, things that you know at the time. I'm sure if you went to well you did. I'm sure when you were there, even with a riders meeting with car headlights at 5 a.m. Despite that, I'm sure you still thought this is the big time. This is Camel Supercross. Yes, yeah, it yeah. doesn't get any more polished, big time professional. Right? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. And uh, and they just haul Tishner off. Just never mind his back or neck or anything else. But that's great. my point. We've come so yep. far. Like now we've got Doc Bodner and yep. Tom Carson's uh, Alpine Stars team there. Like yep. back then, it just whoever's standing closest to this rider, just drag him off. Yep. Uh, also, shout out Weege to the jump over the starting gate move. Love that. The single single over the starting gate. How cool is that? It looks awesome. Uh, However, can you imagine how much extra time that probably built into the night show where you couldn't have, like, the the 125 main is going and the 250 guys cannot go down to the gate until the race is over? I never even thought of that until right now. But you're right, yes. Right. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Uh, Um, Here, another thing I want to point out. If you watch 89 and then if you watch the 90 Atlanta race, mm -hmm. the track is... 86% 86% the same track. Oh, really? I never, no- I didn't notice. Yeah, I know the whoops. Yeah, the whoops for sure. Right, yeah. Yes, and the only thing that changed significantly, they, they put a triple in one section where it wasn't in 89. They added in 90. And then they weave them so they don't. Um, like, remember in that's, the 90 that, race where Kudrowski takes out yep, Bradshaw? Yep, yep. That's, I think that's because they had an awkward chicane to not go jumping over the start gate in 90. Also, I feel like we jumped over the start gate in a split lane in an Anaheim one time. Am yeah, I, am I crazy or we did do that? Or, or was it uh, so over we, under? There so was an over under between the start gates, I think. Oh, was that it? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, That's pretty cool. Okay. But here's what I found interesting. I remember going to the 1987 and 1988 New Jersey Supercrosses. Mm-hmm. The track was identical two years in a row. Oh, wow. This Atlanta track is practically identical two years in a row, except they 
probably didn't like that jumping over the start thing, right. so they changed that. So that is just another thing. Like, here we are having residencies, and I know you like that term, this year. And people are like, are they going to change the track a lot between Saturday and Tuesday? <laughs> they literally came in and yeah. rebuilt the right. exact same track to the same spec 365 days later back then. And nobody noticed or cared. Nope. It was fine. Yep, absolutely. Uh, Heat 2, Jason Upsaw led early. Uh, mm-hmm. Remember him? Yeah, he was the one who made he was the one who made that famous crash at the Coliseum. Uh, the, oh, the that, launching yes. when he hit the bottom. That was yes. Jason Upsaw. So he's a privateer here. He leads, uh, but Sean Kalos uh, wins. The Yamaha rider, factory rider, Sean Kalos, looking good, by the way. JT Gear, uh, he's, he's tall. He looks, Kalos looks good. JMB gets second. Jean-Michel Bale gets second. By the way, too, I worked for Sean Kalos in 1996. Let's never forget that. Uh, I actually worked for Sean Kalos. So, uh, oh, okay. Yeah, it's a little bit of this a... This is a, what, privateer Sean Kalos? PJ1 Yamaha, Sean Kalos. PJ1. Team Extreme? Yep. Uh, also, in Heat 2, Shane Drew sighting. <laughs> My buddy from Canada, Shane Drew, national number 87 at this point. He got 87 two years in a row in the, in the USA, uh, Canadian. And uh, he was up there, and he got, he got lapped with one turn to go by Kalos. But Shane Drew, now working at Honda, Tortelli's mechanic forever, uh, good dude. So, yep. yep. Still at Team Honda right now. Yep, uh, still yep. at Team Honda right now. Um, oh, Brooks is up front in, I want to say, one of these heats. Brooks is up front. Briefly, gets a good start, runs do, a couple do we laps. Need to tell the whole saga of Brooks in this race. Not yet. Oh, poor Not Larry yet. Brooks. Uh, so Heat Not Three, okay. Heat Three Bomber is in this one, and here's my story about the Bomber. So I just told you all about my hero and passing me at Croom and everything else. I'll never forget this as well. Uh, there's moments that are just burning my brain, Weege, like RJ eighty nine uh, Millville, right? Um, Bomber passing yeah. me at Croom. Uh, just moments that are burning my brain, and this one was also burning my brain. Bomber was in this heat up front early, like you know fourth or fifth, and then they don't show he's gone after that. But he crashes on a double that like everyone is doing, like it's no problem, and and he crashes and lays on the side of the track the whole heat race, and they stretcher him off, and he never races again. That's the end. That's the end of Bomber. I saw it. I was there. It must have been bad to take the stretcher because we saw what they did with Titch. Yeah, yeah, no, they stretched him off. I was like, oh, my God. And then I went by his truck at the end of the night, and uh, it was all packed up. No no bomber, no nothing. And I never knew what happened. I never got the, chan- I never, I never got the chance to talk to him or anything. Very, very sad moment. Um, right, because as you're saying, with the way media was back yeah, then, yeah, that was yeah, it. You right. were never going to hear another That's it, word. Right. So, oh, by the way, three heats, top five go to the main event, uh, two semis where the uh, top two go, uh, the two semis, and then the LCQ winner only goes. Um, heat three, bomber crashing, traumatized Steve Mathis in the stands. But uh, Osho, RJ, and Dogger are going at it in the heat. And I just I was thinking to myself, like, man, like there's legends in the heat race right here. Just We didn't know it you know, at the time. We're like, whatever. It's just these three guys. But, dude, it was cool. And when you watch Dogger, Weege, he looks so good. He looks so good out there. Yeah, I've always I've always felt that way. Like Dogger is by far the most modern riding style of mm-hmm. his uh, the guys around yep. him, and then I think after that you'd say the same about Bradshaw. Yep. Um, yep. You know, the, the, like the next guy that looked way modern. Um, it, I, I guess, this is why the le- the legend of Dogger being so talented and good is what it is. It's not based on the race record. It's based on 
if you watched him ride yeah. compared to the dudes around him, he's yep. like 15 years f- further forward he, in riding style. He looks amazing. Osho's leading, and he's sitting down in the turns, and, and our, our uh, uh, dogger's standing up and like power sliding and just – God, he looked good. Here's what I noticed. Yeah. Here's what I noticed. I think as the bikes got better, right? The, I think back in the day, they all had to ride over the back of the bike. You could not drive the front end into bumps; it would break. I mean, that was didn't didn't Timmy once say to you? He what did he get? An eighty-eight, an eighty-eight KX two fifty, and then Ross Maeda was like, "Do not go through the whoops with that. Do not. You will die." Yeah, yeah. yeah. You 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 the, you will break the forks. Yeah. If you go through the whoops like you do in a modern bike, so I feel like as you go from like say nineteen seventy nine. To like eighty nine, if you watch Bradshaw and Lachine, they're the first guys that are like, I can la- I can land on the front end. I don't have to jump everything evil Knievel yeah. style <laughs> because the bike can do it now. Yeah. So that's the modernness. And then you go to McGrath five years later, where he's downsiding everything yep. perfectly because the bikes can do it. And it, blitzing whoops had become common and, by then. And I think RJ was real close to Dogger. RJ was right there. He was very aggressive, which is kind of what the modern thing went right. So, yeah, he's shout out to RJ a little more for, than Dogger, but yeah. I, I know RJ is very he, he doesn't like the rep that he didn't have style. He was just a bulldog. Um, no, he yeah, had RJ, style. if you watch, is pretty good technically. Yeah, no, he had style. That, that, that's, that's, oh, yeah. that's incorrect. Uh, Heat three. Uh, RJ wins. Right. He's on a roll. We all know this. Um, shout out to the dude that got lapped at one point near the end who had. So the 89. This is full. HRP chest protector, plastic, uh, uh, JT V V one thousand, you know, full plastic chest protectors, everything else in eighty nine. Answer, Omera's wearing a full answer chest protector, plastic. Some guy gets lapped in this heat, and he has the foam chest pro with just the plastic piece in the middle. He's still wearing foam, foam like from the seventies. Yeah, 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 like, like the old Joe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and by this point in eighty nine, like it, the, nobody's wearing that foam. So shout out to that guy. Wow. You know, what's most startling out of every single old thing, uh, you know, the bikes or the tracks or the riding styles, et cetera, et cetera. Here's what I notice more than anything. Mm-hmm. Supercross still somewhat in its infancy. The lapped riders. When you see the lap riders, oh, especially in the heat, oh. the difference between <laughs> the lap guy in a heat then and now. Yeah. Phenomenal. Well, dude, these yeah. were probably just local guys. They didn't have Supercross tracks to ride. These guys no. have probably never ridden a Supercross track. They were me. They were me showing up at an amateur yeah. day. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, and even my buddy Shane Drew looked a little rough. I hope he doesn't listen to this. He looked a little rough. And he was national number 87. So, yeah, he was yeah. actually a legitimate professional, like, making mains. But again, uh, we could probably ask Drewski. Yeah. How many Supercross tracks had he ridden on to prepare for this yeah. race? Yeah, no, no. Drew, Drewski got his number, uh, all his results outdoors, so... Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, that we don't know what happens in semi two. They don't show it. Uh, but semi two, Dennis Hawthorne, who I just did a podcast yeah, with. Fred Andrews gets totally screwed. Oh, Fred Andrews gets totally screwed, right? They show every race on this thing we have except the semi that Fred Andrews wins. They show nothing. Yep. Like the tape got eaten by the machine or something. Yep, absolutely. Yep. So uh, Hawthorne whole shots. I just did a podcast with him. Here is where the irresistible force meets the immovable object, though, because Hawthorne's an arena cross champion at this point multi-time, so you know he can he can play it rough. You know that. Mm-hmm. While Ross Rollerball Peterson's right behind him, oh. And, oh, and, and, they, and they battle. Uh, but out front is Larry Brooks. So Brooks was out front in the heat, got quickly shuffled back. He's a privateer Honda rider, but he's number 12. He's full privateer, but he's number 12, right? Just insane. Um, yeah, sports sport was so much better in that golden era where yeah. the twelfth best guy in America was a privateer. Well, yeah. like like Jim Hawley said, 
He sucked. Yeah. He was terrible. Yep. He was number 10, and he didn't do what he was supposed to do. Yep. Time yep. to go to the privateer ranks, Jim. Yep. You only were 10th best guy <laughs> in the entire uh, country. Right, yep. exactly. Uh, so Brooks is gone, and Hawthorne and Rollerball are battling. Uh, neither one very stylish at this point. Rollerball... Again, I don't want to bore everybody. I can get into the history of rollerball and supercross uh, if you want. Uh, we, I mean, it's a separate podcast for the folks at Liat. Uh, rollerball at this point is older and uh, on his way out. He's only had a maybe. He's only got like three more years left. Uh, so, you know, at his prime, he was never a good supercross guy. He was over an outdoor warrior, and he looks a little stiff out there. But, but he's trying to get it done, and uh, and he's in second. He's stuffing Dennis Hawthorne. He's in second. Brooks is gone. And then, so, the last lap, with like two corners to go, Weege, do you think Brooks was trying to style when he threw it away? <sighs> I think he Only was. Only he would know. It, it does look that way a yes. little bit. He, Larry looks like he's trying to show off for the crowd off the last double bef- before two turns before the finish, and he eats shit and throws a race away. Yes, he ends up not making the main. So he whole shots the heat, doesn't make the main, leads to the last lap of the semi. With two corners to go. Out of that. Yeah. I think, he's, yep. I think he's throwing a whip. He throws it away. Yep. Uh, and so Rollerball wins. Oh, Canada, indeed. Now, look, did you know when we decided to pick Atlanta 89, and we're picking it because of this huge Stanton-Johnson changing of the guard moment, did you also know that there would be a Rollerball sighting in this race? I did not. I mean, oh, I, I've watched so this race before. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. No, I'm just like, yeah, number 33. There we go. <laughs> Rollerball. Um, so I was very happy about that. Rollerball also, too, this is only his second year back at Suzuki. He went His best years were on a Yamaha by far, and then he went back to Suzuki. So, um, Okay, so Brooks throws it away. Rollerball wins. Oh, Canada, indeed. I don't remember being – I don't remember seeing this in the stands. Like, I, I, somehow it didn't resonate. Me being in the stands and seeing Rollerball win this. I don't know. I don't Even know though Rollerball, by 89, you know all about Roller- Rollerball's had his years. Like, you, he is your guy, right? Yeah, later on this summer, Rollerball shows up at a Saskatoon fair race that I'm at. I'm on 80s. He's there, and he wins the first night, gets beat up in the bar after the race, <laughs> celebrating, thrown through a plate glass window. Misses the rest of the summer with concussions and God knows what else after these bouncers beat the shit out of him. And he loses the title for the first time in, in, in five years. So he comes back in 90 as number seven, which is, Whoa. you know, yeah, because he, he missed the rest of the summer after getting thrown through this plate glass window after celebrating at the race I was at. So I feel like I saw that in an episode of Happy Days or some other, uh, maybe an 80s <laughs> yeah. drama show. Yeah, yeah. Thrown through the plate glass window. Yeah, yeah. Just like Axel Foley in Beverly Hills Cop. Thrown yeah, through it. Yeah, there you go. Um, so the LCQ comes. Brooks, I don't know. He wasn't up front. And then he just sends it again into the second turn <laughs> and just flies off the track again. And you got the dramatic effect back then when they had hay bales before tough yeah, locks. Yeah. When they go off the track, you see this explosion. So, you're okay, Brooks has blown it in the heat, blown it in the semi bad. So that's all you're looking for. And then you just see this explosion of hay bales. Yep. And you're like, oh, it's Brooks. And it's just a cartwheeling Honda. And the next shot shows Larry just sitting on a t- on a hay bale, just sitting dejectedly on a hay bale. Yeah. Just like what else can what else can go wrong? I'm not I'm not even gonna I had the semi in hand. I tried to do a cross up. Yep. And now I'm not even gonna make the main. Right, right. Uh yep. so Keith Bowen wins the LCQ, gets the last spot in the main event. 
Uh, he's riding for tough uh, Suzuki at this point. Teammate of Bomber, by the way. So, um, yeah, f- between the rollerball winning and Carl Valencourt getting fifth and Shane Drewski and Bomber, I, I got a lot of wow. connections to this thing. So, wow. yeah. Um, and, again, we don't watch the 125 main. We're not able to watch it. I don't know. Bradshaw just takes off. So. They show it for like it 15 seconds. It showed how little the series cared about the 125s. And it's funny. like This is only the fourth year of having the 125 Supercross class. It is completely an afterthought. Um, on, on the television broadcast, even the Cycle News coverage, if I remember right, they don't even tell you what happens in the heats. It's like, yeah, we'll give you some paragraphs on the 125 main. Let's move on. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, right? So main event time, uh, again, Bradshaw, or Bradshaw, main event time, RJ had won uh, five in a row. At this point, he was the man. Um, he doesn't get a great start. Uh, Cooper does, and Guy Cooper. Uh, is there a is there anybody in recent years that reminds you of Guy Cooper? I mean, anybody? No, it, it's a perfect rhetorical question. Uh, there is no answer to that. That's the whole point. Uh, Guy Cooper, unfortunately, a lot probably lost in history now because it's going almost twenty years since he retired. I think ninety three was his last full year. Uh, there is no parallel that I can draw. I will never be able to make sense out of the way Guy Cooper races a dirt bike. It's uncomparable to anything. The dude could get air over nothing. The dude was out of control but didn't crash nearly as much as he should have for how out of control he was. I don't know anything else like Guy Cooper. (laughs) Never won a Supercross either, amazingly. Came so close so many times. Yeah. Oh, yeah, last lap. Multiple times had leads on last laps. Chicken took him out, I think, twice, yeah. I think, yeah. on the last lap. I don't know why Chicken did it. I don't even know why. Yep. Uh, um, that The Atlanta race a year later, he leads down to the last lap, and Wardy gets him. Uh, I mean, this event here, 89 Atlanta, shows on the right night, Cooper was almost as good as anybody. Like, the fact that he didn't win one race makes no sense. No. He's podium guy over and over and over. Amazing. So Stanton and him go at it. Cooper's leading. Stanton catches up. Th- th- that little uh, rhythm kind of by where Cooper crashes later gives the guys fits, a lot of the guys fits. They they double in, then they have to roll, but some guys go uh, roll, double in, and then double onto the table. Like it, it, It's really, really like uh, – I notice there's a few different ways to do it, and not everybody can really nail it. Stanton has a, almost a loop-out moment on it. Uh, Stanton gets kicked in the whoops and almost goes over the berm. So close yep. to going over the berm. Uh, but they're trading spots. RJ's coming up from a bad st- start. But, I mean, you know, everyone just assumes RJ's going to win this thing, right? Yeah, he's won the first five in a row. But I got to say, 1989, RJ, you got to work on the starts, bro. Yeah, like, really, right? <laughs> was he trying to make it interesting? Like, every, he wins five in a row going into this. But yeah. every darn race, it's, does he have time? Yeah. Is he going to get there? Yep. Can he catch, oh, Anaheim won. Can he catch O'Mara? Oh, O'Mara's bike broke. Uh, Kenny catch Titchener at Miami. Uh, he had to get Bradshaw and Stanton at San Diego. Yep. Kenny catch these guys. The even the heat race. Yep. Horrible start in the heat race. Come on, RJ. The starts. Thanks yeah. for making it interesting. Yeah. Jeez, man. I, I know, right? I, I guarantee if we called him for this Lee at Reraceables, he'd be like, "No, man, I was just doing it on purpose." That's what RJ would do. I, I mean, it made it interesting. <laughs> it was like the first uh, ten laps of the main were like a battle for the lead, and you were just waiting, like, "When is RJ going to get there?" And he does. He here, gets there. He well, he gets there. He'll get there when it's time. Um, okay. <laughs> He gets there, he passes Stanton, passes Cooper, gets in the lead, and you're kind of like, okay, this is it. But they don't really show it on camera, and Jeff Stanton tells us about it later on here in a little bit. We'll, we'll get to Jeff. Uh, a lapper actually holds him up. Like, RJ gets passed back. And you're kind of like, what happened? And you're like, oh, wait, he couldn't do the, this one rhythm. Because the lappers, I guess, got, got him. So they, they both get him back again. But alongside of him, Cooper 
What does God, he do? Never. Like, what happened? What? Honestly, it looks like his throttle sticks. I believe, uh, okay, so yeah, this is crazy. This is what makes this race so good. Johnson is able to get around Stanton and Cooper. He takes the lead. He's won the first five races. You figure it's over. You're watching Stanton and Cooper battling for second. Yep. And then all of a sudden, they <laughs> both RJ. pass RJ at the same time. Right, right. And then, and then Cooper is launching a jump with his feet off the pit. On a section that, again, it was the rhythm that I was talking about that giving the guys problems, but he does something that I don't – did he He just got excited because he was passing for the lead? Well, Myers, Larry Myers here on the ESPN version of the broadcast breaks it down. He thinks that Cooper clipped the top of one of the jumps with his rear wheel, and that kicks his feet off the pegs. However, if you know anything about Guy Cooper, that doesn't mean back off. No, no. If you're full flying W and your your ankles are above your shoulders, <laughs> you keep that thing twisted. So he – launches the next table with his feet over his head. Yes. And then he lets go of the bike in midair. It, it's an amazing crash. It's an amazing... He's mean, passing Johnson yeah, for the lead while right. doing this. Steve. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Like, if you're RJ and you look to your left, you see nothing but, a, like, a, a bike with and a rider four feet above you and a rider flying through the air like Superman. Yes. Oh. Yes. The, but the uh, next so part lands. is your, the next part is your favorite part for sure. Yeah, Cooper. So Cooper jumps this jump. Now he lets go of the motorcycle. <laughs> he doesn't even. He lands. It would be. I mean, you get really lucky, right? If you if you can backside the jump with your body. Yeah. Well, he doesn't get that. No, it would be <laughs> terrible if you just landed in flat. That would be <laughs> and terrible, just collapsed right? every bone in your body. Right. Yes. If you just land on flat dirt, you're going to collapse every bone in your body. But no, 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 no. There is like a little tiny single roller, and he actually lands on the face of that. Good God! Without his bike. Yeah. And then, and then, what does he do? This is you love this part. You take it from here. This is your favorite he, part. He instantly gets up and just starts running back to the motorcycle. <laughs> Not he even. He doesn't take no stock of, of like, are my legs broken or my ankles broken? It's <laughs> I got to get back on the bike. <laughs> Guy Cooper, everybody. Amazing. Just simply amazing. Um, are there races? Are you like me? Do you see all races and you see Cooper do things? And you're just like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm with you. Uh, you know, a lot of guys have told me over the years, I've done so many podcasts with these guys, and a lot of guys are just like, yeah, you really had to be careful around Cooper because he, like, <laughs> he, he could just send it and take you out. And, you know, never on purpose. Just his flying bike or body no. could hit you. You have to be really careful around Guy Cooper. I remember a couple weeks earlier this, uh, 89 San Diego, they have whoops and then a wall jump to try to slow the guys down, just like the walls yep. we have these days. And on one random lap, Cooper just jumps the wall and jumps all the way over the second half of the whoops. <laughs> Sounds about right. He, he goes through whoops, hits a wall, and then jumps like 70 feet off a wall jump. And, right. and he no problem. He just yeah. lands it. Yeah. Um, it's amazing. So Coop's out of this thing, but it's thrilling. It's a thrill ride because between the heat and up to this big one, he has about other 14 moments oh, yeah. where, where he just about dies. And Stephen Stanton's got the one. But it, it's yes, phenomenal. Yes, it does go off the track. Yeah. Um, uh, another thing about Coop that I loved, when the, when you see an inevitable block pass coming, like he's on the outside and someone's on the inside, this is what Cooper would always do. He would just go wide open around the outside and basically like, I'm going to take my chances that I don't get punted. <laughs> and it actually happens with Stanton 
in the turn before he crashes. Like, he, yeah. Stanton totally is going to block pass him. Yep. And Cooper's like, just, I'm just going to go wide open around the outside anyway. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And, and uh, hopefully you don't get me. That's it. It's, it's a That's flip it. of a coin. It's right. a suicide mission. Thanks to Liat, by the way, for coming on board with us. The Velocity goggles, the 5.5 Flexlot boots, the helmets, whatever it is, Liat.com for more information. Of course, they had developed the first neck brace, and they're still doing a great job with that. they got a full line head-to-toe. They can dial you in. Thanks to Liat and everything they do for us from this podcast. Also, Max's tires. I mean, Alex Ray isn't Guy Cooper, but he's maybe Infant mm. Cooper? Infant mm. Guy Cooper? Infant Coop. Infant Coop, Alex Ray, using Max's <laughs> tires out there. Uh, so please check that out. MXSTs, Jeremy Smith, Rod Bell, uh, Jordan Jarvis, all using uh, Max's tires. Mountain bike tires, of course, uh, SUV tires, light truck tires. They got you dialed in. Thanks to the folks at Maxxis.com for Infant Coop, Alex Ray. Um, <laughs> at this point in the main event, I think it's after the crash. It's RJ and Stanton. Now we're battling to the end. It's getting near the end of the race. They go to a segment of the show with Gary Bailey as the pit reporter with all Omeras next to him, and they go through a full two minutes. I timed this. It's two minutes explanation of safety gear from uh, from the goggles to the boots to the helmet to everything else. RJ, uh, Omer is just sitting there like a, you know, a mannequin, and B- Gary Bailey is going through everything. First of all, a couple questions for you, Weege. Uh How bad would Kellen Brower lose his mind? If they did this, because they don't, they don't show the race. It's not picture in picture. It's just full cutaway. Two, yeah. How many? We're going to explain the safety gear to you. Segments have been done in Supercross history. A thousand? Oh yeah, I think every t- at least one per year in the first probably thirty years of Supercross, they had a here's the here's the gear segment. Yes. Yeah. Lots all, of here's the safety. Yeah, gear. massive, right? So. Yep. Um. Yeah. Anyway, so that that's funny, and they cut away to the race, and that's just it. They're just explaining safety gear. Gary Bailey's explaining yeah, Kellen, safety gear. Our uh, cohort at Racer X really doesn't like when they cut away from the action. Now, I will say, look, these races. I think this race came on TV. I'm not joking. Four months after the race took place, so they're editing. They they're not going to actually miss any action. Uh, no, but but it does. But they do miss action because they that might be not action, but they miss because when they come laps. back out of this. Yes. We, we're, we're near the end. Yes. Yeah. And what I noticed, okay, so I watched this race in ESPN when I was 10 years old, right? And I right. watched it 700 times, and I thought that's the way the race was. And then this mysterious link that our buddy Tony Blazer found for us has the entire race, and I'm like, oh, my God, there's like seven other laps that I've never seen in my life. Well, now, now I need we to go back and watch this. Now I need to go back and watch this because I, I, I didn't. I just watched the ESPN version. So it, Nothing really happens right. different. It's just like – uh. There's like six or seven more laps of RJ trying to catch Stanton that you don't see in the ESPN. Because on ESPN, I'm sure they're like, well, he doesn't catch him, so we're just going to cut to the last lap. And, and yeah. He, yeah, okay, so I need to go. So you don't see the Gary Bailey thing in Blazers Link. Not there. No, it's okay. just every lap yeah, yeah. of the main. Right. And uh, RJ's still trying, still trying, still so, trying. And then making mistakes at the end, I think, just like going balls out. To try to get him. Well, here's where my memory is so it's so funny how we do these things and your memory is one thing and the, and what happened is is really different. I would have told you that RJ was ahead of Stanton when he washes the front end out. And, and Stanton was right on him. That was kind of my memory. Like oh. RJ washed the front end, but Stanton was ahead of RJ when Rick crashed and washed the front end out. He went full Marty Davalos, too much break, <laughs> went down. Yes. So I'll recap the whole race like this. RJ uh, passes Stanton, 
Then RJ gets held up by the lapper. Stanton and Cooper both go by him. Then Cooper is flying through the air and crashes. So now Stanton is in the lead. RJ's trying to get him back. Yeah, and he tries to get him. He goes from trying to go from outside to inside in a bull berm. And I guess locks up the front brake and goes down. Yep. And that's ultimately what gives Stanton a gap. Yep, yep. And then Stanton goes on to win his first ever 250 Supercross race, which was kind of like we said off the top. A little bit like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like a good signing by Honda, but certainly not a super cost guy. And, you know, RJ had won five in a row. And even after this race, RJ has almost a full race lead, um, even with the three points that Stanton made up. So at this point, I mean, RJ's streak is over, but, you know, it's not like uh, he didn't make it happen. He still was very good. Just lost the front end, got second. So yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. you it, it, several points of this man, you're like, oh, RJ's definitely going to win. Yeah, you know, it didn't it didn't come together, but at no point where you're like, what's wrong here? He's only the fifth fastest guy. Nothing like that. No, nothing like that at all. And no. and and also, by the way, how pissed is RJ at the end of the race when you know? I mean, he, we're gonna talk. We're gonna talk to Jeff about living with RJ and everything else. But you know, they're buddies. RJ's the alpha dog. Uh, Stanton's the guy's learning. You would think RJ would be pulling up alongside of him and be like, dude, congratulations. I'm so happy for you. But RJ's pissed. The streak is over. Yeah. Um, and we'll never know. I, you know, I think there's a lot of small water under the bridge now. You know, uh, we'll never know. We've, I think we both asked RJ and Stanton about their relationship after this quite a bit. Um, but I, I think in the moment it actually did change. But you don't really hear all the details right. um, now. Right. But yes, for sure, RJ basically took Stanton under his wing. And definitely Stanton went to a whole other level. But then Stanton is responsible for RJ's win streak ending. And then eventually, RJ's reign ending. And from what you kind of hear, that didn't sit well uh, with RJ. Um, yeah. But at the same time, I think RJ, look, I, I think from his perspective, it's like, I don't, I don't want to, not credit but I think it quickly got forgotten how instrumental RJ was in helping Stanton, and maybe that's what chapped RJ a bit. Yeah, 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 maybe. Definitely things changed. Uh, and this this was a pivotal moment in motocross history uh, for many, many reasons. Uh, Miami was February 18th. RJ wins. Uh, Atlanta, the next week, uh, February 25th. Uh, we just covered that, Atlanta. RJ gets second, but everything's still fine. The next week... Weege, the very next week. So Stanton wins. RJ, RJ's still the man. The next week, Danny Storbeck lands on RJ's wrist, breaks his wrist. He's out for the year. Well, he's out until late that year in 89. And RJ never wins another Supercross after the Miami race. He also never wins another championship. He wins, what, mm, three nationals? Uh, he won the Gainesville 90 opener. I think he won two 500s with, uh, since, after the wrist. Something like that. So, yeah, he won... Uh... It was odd, um, not to go too far to the side. His first race back in '89 is Unadilla GP, and he wins. Yeah, and you're just like, ah, yeah, we're back. Yep. Uh, but it doesn't. No, it, the next two years, and then going into '91, he doesn't even make it. To basically, this time of year, by '91, uh, he, he retires. He's so, done. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's it's totally. You know, he's 27. He's 28. His reign probably goes for another couple of years. Maybe Stanton passes him. Maybe not. Uh, Stanton goes on to win the 89 Supercross title. Stanton goes on to win the 89 250, title, 250 national title. And again, RJ's life changed uh, March 5th, uh, one week after this race we're doing right here. And Stanton's yeah. life changes also. Yeah, unbelievable. That Miami race that uh, the week before that RJ wins, he becomes the all-time Supercross wins leader ah, at yeah. that race. Yeah, that's right. Passing and it's hand. like, yeah. 
Yeah, he goes one ahead of Bob Hanna. So you're like, okay, he's won five in a row to start the season. So there is no end in sight. He's, if anything, maybe better than he's ever been. So he's going to get so many more wins, so many more titles. To think that 14 days later, 14 days after RJ becomes the all-time wins leader, Jeff Stanton, who, what, two months earlier, wasn't even thought of as a guy that could win a Supercross race? Mm -hmm. 14 days after RJ becomes the all-time race winner, Stanton becomes the new star of the sport. Yep, It is so rapid. I don't know if there's ever been a more rapid transition. And if RJ could go back in time, he doesn't invite Jeff Stanton to train with him in the offseason, probably. Uh, Yeah, well, I mean, really, it comes down to the wrist, right? I I mean, I'm sure RJ's just saying, yeah, but I still had these guys. True, true. Yeah, yeah. even, yeah. But so uh, Atlanta 89 is a real pivotal moment in moto uh, in two guys' lives, and and it really changes a lot of things. Um, Yeah. So, And I want to throw one more just to make this even more uh, weirdo and mysterious. Also, one of the cool things about 1989 is there is this mysterious J.M. Bale just out there, <laughs> just lurking, <laughs> not really getting a lot of coverage. You see him every once in a while, not doing anything special. Oh, no, you saw uh, Anaheim 89, Anaheim oh, opener. He does oh, make the coverage there. Oh, yes, he yes, does. He does. <laughs> His first 250 Supercross main, he collides with Rollerball in the oh, air. Oh, is it Roller? It was Rollerball. Oh, welcome to North America. We send Rollerball in. <laughs> and Bale crashes, flips out of a hay bale over the air in the triple. Yeah. Is but, that... But, Yep. Is that uh, some people, to be able to cross the border into America, they have to go through Canada first? Is that what it was for JMB? Yeah, exactly. You have to get initiated in by through Canada. <laughs> through uh, Canada. And, and also, I can, I can vouch for you, there was no transfer of power from Bale to Rollerball for Supercross skills. There was none of that. No, apparently not. Sorry. Um, Sorry, Roller. Right. But anyway, so yeah, you're right. Just JMB lurking here. He was part-time. You know, he'd won the 88-125 title. Uh, world title, and uh, he was doing the 89 Supercrosses, and then he was going back to whoop up on everybody in the 89-250 World Championships later on. So, yep. Right, so these first five races of 89, RJ's dominating everybody. Stanton is coming from okay to amazing, maybe not quite as good as RJ, and then there's this JMB guy barely being even noticed, getting, I think he gets seventh in this main event. Yeah. A year after this, by a year later, JMB might be the best Supercross rider in the world. Yeah. Nobody saw that coming either. Yeah, JMB misses one round in 90 from an elbow injury and finishes, what, eight points back of Stanton or whatever at the end of 90, right? Whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Stanton wins the title, and obviously, all respect to six time, you win the title, you earned it. But the point is, no one was thinking in these first couple races of 89 that JMB would be even close to as good as he turns out, and it didn't even take that long. It did not. So, no. real, real big moment in motocross history. Mm-hmm. Jeff Stanton goes on to win his first race. Uh, Guy Cooper thrills us. Uh, rollerball wins a semi. Tishner gets dragged off. Uh, should we call Stanton? Should we talk, Should we put Stanton on here? Oh, yeah. yeah. Love talking to Six Time. Yeah, he was... Uh, and by the way, uh, he's... Six Time... When I was a kid, I asked Jeff for his jersey at Millville. Uh, Millville... 89, Millville 90, and he basically bit my head off. And uh, I was really scared of him. Um, and then is there a cooler guy since he retired than Jeff Stanton, right? Like like just a different personality. So Yeah, yeah, and he's, he's talked about it a million times. that he, he just had a tough time. He couldn't be, when he was racing, he was gnarly, you know, and he couldn't be both. He couldn't yep. be lighthearted and friendly and fun and cool right. and focused on racing. He is a totally different uh, guy. Although I have to say, did you see his post-race interview with Gary Bailey, who's the pit reporter? 
Oh, yeah. I do want to talk about that. Who's the creepy guy on his shoulders, massaging his shoulders with the camel hat? Dude, remember we did another one of these shows where we were talking about why the announcers like so close to each other? Yeah. In this one, what is the deal with touching other guys on the shoulder? Bailey does the whole interview with his left hand on Stanton's shoulder, and then there's another guy. There's another. So I think that guy, they, they cut away. He had a camel jacket and a camel hat on. He must have been like the trophy girl for camel, where it's like, hey, you just need to, like, where's Waldo in the background here to get camel in? Because he's, like, going back and forth. He's got the hat on. He's touching Jeff. On the shoulders, it looks like. Or maybe that's Gary's I mean, they hand. had a trophy girl, but you're saying like maybe he was like the rep from Camel. Right, right. And they're just like, hey, you need to stand in the background of the shot. So yep. Camel gets shown. Because I don't know who this guy is, and he's got a Camel hat and jacket on, and it's super creepy and weird. Oh, yeah, yeah. He is all over Stanton, like literally touching him. Literally <laughs> touching him. And Gary Bailey, the pit reporter, yeah. is doing the same. Yeah, it's 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 bizarre. Uh, yeah. Absolutely, uh, for sure bizarre. Um, so let's... Uh, Let's go to Stanton right now and uh, talk to him about this night, Atlanta 89. And now, as promised off the top of the show, we're bringing in the race winner, his first career 250 Supercross win, and it was a big moment for him, and uh, that's why we're covering this race, and that's why we're talking about it. It's six-time Supercross motocross champion Jeff Stanton. What's up, Jeff? How are you, man? I'm great. How are you guys? I'm good. Thank you for joining us for, for a little bit here. So this race, I was at this race. Um, uh, it was a big win for you. We all know you now, were. Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You were at that race? I raced amateur day and was in the stands for it. Yes. <laughs> yes. I was going to say, you had to be a young kid because, listen, I had to go back and watch the video. I mean, Alzheimer's setting in here. Yeah. I had to go back and watch the video today to kind of get a recap of that race. But you had to be a young kid. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember how cold it was. It was really cold. Um, and uh I'm surprised you had to go back and watch it. This was your first win. This was a huge deal for you. <laughs> well, I can remember the highlights. What I remember, well, we'll talk about it. What I remember most is Cooper's crash at that race. The courage was spectacular. Yeah, yeah, really, right? Um, let's let's backtrack a little bit. So, obviously, you had never finished on the podium at a Supercross at a non-mud race Daytona at Yamaha. You come to uh, Honda. You, you, you live with Rick Johnson. You, uh, you know, he helps you out a little bit. You, um, uh, your finishes, uh, so you'd never finished on the podium outside of that Daytona one. And then your finishes coming into this race in 89, uh, two, four, four, two, three. So you immediately like with, you know, three podiums in the first five races, you had to have been feeling better at Supercross than ever before. Yes, I did. And it, and really it's because I, I, Ricky and I did everything together. So uh all off season i lived with him and we trained and we rode together we practiced together and then to start that season and i i i, I felt good you know you wanted to be at american honda at that time they they were the manufacturer to be with and uh, to be able to live and train with the best the bad boys, and learn from him it was it was a great start to the year for me you know like you said uh, quite a few podiums to get things rolling and it was just a matter of time I mean, he was he was definitely more dominant than anybody mm -hmm. to start off that year with. But uh, you know, a little luck on your side, and that's exactly what happened in Atlanta. That 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 at that particular race. Go ahead, Weege. But here's the crazy thing, Jeff. Like you had kind of made a name for yourself, especially in the 500 Nationals and also the 250 Nationals, but especially the 500 Nationals by actually being good on a YZ 490. Supercross, you were okay, I think, in '88. I mean, in any. Even with Team Honda, even working with Rick, 
did you ever think there was a chance at the end of the 1989 Supercross season you would be the Supercross champ? Were you that ambitious, or did that even hit you by surprise, how quickly all this unfolded? Yeah, no, that, I'd say I would have believed that there was zero chance of being <laughs> okay. the, of the, the Supercross champ in 1989, okay? I'll, I'll be straight up with you. Okay. And so, but, but could, would I have believed that I would have been second or third in that? you know at the first five races absolutely Mm -hmm. and then we all know what happened after the after atlanta unfortunately but uh, it was great for american honda they kind of brought somebody new in put him with the best guy and uh you know they're really american honda's the hero in the in the whole situation arnold really is the hero in the whole situation you know hired me said hey ricky can can jeff stay with you for for the winter and, and learn learn and adapt and that's what they did and it, you know, it worked phenomenal for them somebody right in the stepping stones now yeah where did that idea come from actually because rj said he he kind of saw something in you so it was i guess a little bit of him but it was a little bit honda and then and then you also like how did that you're not just going to be rj's teammate but you're going to live with the dude where did that come from well he just he offered uh yeah. you know <laughs> obviously i i wasn't I wasn't rolling in it at that point. wasn't ready mm-hmm. to go buy a house in California. And he's like, "Hey, you know, come come stay with me for three or four months and uh, on the off season." And and because uh, yeah, always after Daytona, I would come home and it would be good enough weather to ride at home. And so it was offered. Hey, we'll train together, ride together. And so I mean, if you want to be the best, and I, I say this all the time, if you want to be with, be the best, learn from the best, and hang out with the best people. Now, we know you worked hard off the bike. You've always in shape and everything else. And Rick did, too. Um, the bike was really good. As you said, American Honda deserves a lot of credit. And so I'm thinking the fitness was there already, and whatever Rick was doing didn't really open your eyes, Jeff. I'm assuming that whatever Rick was doing didn't open your eyes to fitness. I assume you did pretty well. Now you're on a bike that's not a Yamaha or the best bike, let's say, out of everybody. So was it like watching Rick and riding with Rick? Was it was it technique that honed you, or was it just the motorcycle? What was a bigger jump for you uh, for your results, bike or it technique a, or what? It was it was a combination of all all things. Um, it was um, learning. Uh, what I learned from Ricky more than anything on the motorcycle is that it is um, quality, not quantity. You know, you go out and ride all day, dick around, do five six laps, pull off. Um, it what I learned from him early on is you get out and you do your laps and it, you make quality laps and move on to the next thing. And so just getting that schedule and being confident in that schedule mm-hmm. and not spending all day doing what, you know, our goal was to be done by two o'clock in the afternoon. That way you got family time, you got other time and, and stuff to do with. So you get up and you train and you ride and you train again in the afternoon. And it was just, it was just somebody that's been there and done it and put the whole pieces of the together and so uh, it, it was a multiple of uh, multiple multiple things learning the technique um by putting in your laps mm-hmm. um yeah i had the training down but it, right. it kind of went to a, a new level uh, we had a he had a guy that he had hired and we did training out there and so just putting all the loop together in the whole big picture that 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 really made it all happen we uh el cajon was the little bit of a goat farm staten went to the goat yeah. farm <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah what was it like out there man or were they did you see other riders around all the time because i mean obviously that was a hot spot um was it like the social network that maybe florida is now or temecula is now something like that it's funny you say that it was the start of all, what all is going on down there so ricky had a friend that had property 
kind of by the Mexi- Mexico border and uh, let Ricky build Supercross track there. So he had his own private Supercross track even oh. in, in 1989 that he had that we trained on that nobody else rode on. Nobody oh, even wow. knew. It yep. was tucked back in the mountains. I mean, Savitsky Stadium Dirt Design went and built it. And so um, just an awesome track. And we were the only ones that rode on it, two of us. And so that kind of was the start of that whole training facility thing there. Yeah, really. Wow. Do you do you remember your first day on the Honda and who was there and where it was? Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Okay. It was actually out in Sini Valley. That, you know, that's yeah. where they still had their test track. You want to talk about intimidating? Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> you know, all the, all, the, all the mechanics from, you know, Cliff White to Brian Lunas. I mean, those were those were the mechanic God mechanics yep. back in the day and, you know, meeting my mechanic at that test track and, and showing up in the land, dude, it was like freaking asphalt, hard as a rock, blue groove. And I'm coming from Sandy Loam, been riding into Michigan and have to go ride that place. And, and the intimidation factor between all the stars that were there, it was awesome, but yeah, it, it all worked, it all worked out great people. And, and listen, the, nobody gives enough credit to Dave Arnold as a team manager from back in that day. Mm-hmm. Um, the team, the team managers back in that day answered to nobody and whatever it took to win races, that's what they did. They hired the right people. They made yep. the illegal, illegal parts, illegal <laughs> cutting of frames, whatever it took to win a race. You just did it. Well, you just did it. And you suffered consequences later. And uh, that that's 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 gone. That's been gone for years. And, and Dave also wasn't just a kind of I mean, he was a, an engineer, a very smart guy. Like he wasn't just a manager type of guy. He also had super smart. Abs- guy. Yeah, absolutely. Hands on. Yeah. Um, wasn't afraid to cut a shock apart or cut a frame apart just right. because he had a dream that the that the angle was better we try this and and uh would just make it happen yeah. you know wouldn't sir, anybody in japan just would start hacking and cutting and yeah some worked some didn't but right. uh those days are gone now the team managers are just yes men and you know they answer yep. to somebody uh well now now the riders call the shots Jeff, now, now the riders call the shots. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad you said that because I've been in trouble for saying that. <laughs> um, uh, Atlanta 89. So uh, between the heat race and the main event, Guy Cooper has about 14 almost crashes before he finally That's the main I mean, Jeff, he's – I mean, we all know Guy Cooper. But he's out of control this whole race. <laughs> he, uh, after I just watched that, you know, I just watched that video a little bit ago. Yeah. He rode great. I mean, he, he did. Let how many, he pulled the whole shot and let how many laps there until we kind of caught up. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, guy was, he was great at the, at that, in his era right there. And for those, those few, few years, you could never count him out. Would he make it the whole 20 laps? Most likely not, <laughs> right. but he was spectacular. He was spectacular for 15, and he definitely was in Atlanta there. Right. Weed, you're pretty impressed. Guy got up from that and got back on the bike. <laughs> Dude, it makes no sense. Like, not only does he launch a jump, feed off the pegs, and then throw the bike away in midair, but he actually lands on the face of, like, a little roller just to make it worse. And he is – there's no inventory. There's no, I hope I didn't break my legs or ankles. He immediately is going back to the bike. But, Jeff, you can – Attest to this. I'm sure you saw it at the test track. I mean, Guy Cooper, people probably don't remember now. That was Guy Cooper's deal. Like, the dude was so wide open all the time. It's like everything rolled into that one uh, race is everything Guy Cooper uh, is and was. Absolutely. And, you know, I see that crash. I think about his toes 
in those boots. I bet his toes were black and blue steak and toes tried to go through the front of those, those, those motorcycle boots. But, uh, yeah, a guy put in, put in a heck of an effort, whether it be a motocross or supercross, it's always fun to be around. And, and he was, a, he was a good teammate. Hey, when you were battling Cooper though, uh, was there a part of you, even though you liked him and even though he's your teammate, was there a part of you that was like, dude, I don't know what this guy's going to do. Oh, uh, you had to be careful for sure. But, <laughs> but one thing with guys, I, I knew he wouldn't take me out. Mm-hmm. You know, he would race you and he'd race you tough and he would jump stuff and be crazy, but he would never, he would never, he would never take you out, you know, deliberately. And so, um, yeah, he was always, always fun to be around. And so he goes down and then Ricky comes up and passes, uh, or no, I actually, he crashes and I, I go inside of Ricky in this about the same crash. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. all, all yeah. that happens. What happened there? We couldn't I, see it on the camera. Yeah. So he, uh, Ricky got bottled up with a lapper. Yep. And as, as Cooper's doing the WFO, I sneak inside of RJ on that right hand turn and I'm, I'm, I'm in the lead at this point. And so for a lap, we're battling back and forth and, and seeing it on the video. We're going through the whoop sections and I kind of turn my head and look at him. He's on the left hand side of me and we're coming into a right hand turn. And so, I run him up high into the berm. He grabs too much, mm-hmm. too much front brake and goes down, and uh, and I just cruise the last two laps. So just phenomenal. It, it's pretty amazing because Atlanta ninety. Everybody wants to talk about Atlanta ninety, and that was great and it was epic. Uh, Eighty nine. Mm-hmm. This race was also really, really good. That was two straight years in uh, in Atlanta. You know, um, we also. It's funny because I, I I got struck by this watching it. So you're I, I don't know how, how old are you at this point, Jeff? In eighty nine. Uh, 89, I'm 20. Yeah, you're 20. And so at one point it's, it's Lachine, Johnson and O'Mara yeah. going yeah. at it in a heat race. Uh, Wardy's out with a, an injured foot at this point. He comes back later in the series, but like, it's such a transition. 89, 90 is such a transitional time in the sport because you even, you had to be like, holy shit, like O'Mara, Lachine, RJ, like these guys are 25, right? They're, and they're legends. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I looked up to all those guys. I mean, I was I was a good amateur when those guys mm-hmm. were really, you know, at the, at their peak. And so and then to be able to um, to move to Simi Valley where Johnny O lived. Mm-hmm. And at that time, we were training together a bunch uh, more more later in 89 and, and got to become good friends. But no, you when I was when I was winning Loretta Lynn's titles, they were winning Supercrosses. And so yep. I looked up to them guys. And so to line up beside him on on the, on the starting line of Supercross in 89. Yeah, I'm, I was intimidated as, as all get out. Hey, the beginning of the year, like you said, you were getting a lot of seconds and thirds. You were second in points coming into this race. There's an interview you do for this uh, TV show in Atlanta where you're like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to win. Yeah. I'll go feed off the pegs, off the track, whatever it takes. Were you, after the first five rounds, RJ wins all five, but you've kind of become the second place guy. Was your confidence building where you're like, all right, now it's time for me to try to win one of these things. Was that all happening? Absolutely, because I could I could see my progression getting better. Um, we come back to the East Coast where I like the dirt and I like the atmosphere and, and more fa- more family and friends around me. And so um, I just knew that it was a matter of time for everything to kind of fall into place and uh, have a little luck on your side. And, yeah, it, it worked out there. I was thinking, so I'm like, okay, so 89, RJ's got a almost a race lead at this point. After this race, he's almost a race up, right? Because he wins the first uh, six or whatever, right? Um, and then I'm like, okay, so then, Jeff, you go on a run. You win this one. You win Daytona. You win the next one. So three in a row. But then you break your transmission in Tampa, I believe. Your Tampa. Tra- transmission breaks. So I went yeah. back, and I'm like, hey, 
I wonder, and I didn't kind of look through each race. I'm like, I wonder if this, you know, he got last. You got last in that race. But, dude, even with the transmission breaking, you had a 20-point lead still. Like, it, was, yeah. it, was, it wasn't like panic time. You, you, you kind of took this thing pretty easily at, after this. Well, we thought it was panic time when that trans- <laughs> when the transmission yeah. broke. You want to talk about cutting frames and making all kinds of crazy objects to hold that into place after that race? They were Dave Arnold was making up, he was making up all kinds of crazy stuff. But uh, yeah. no, it wasn't pan- it wasn't panic. It was just uh, yeah. At, at that at that point, I had the pounce in the boots and the bikes and the people around me, and so we just we just kept yeah. pushing forward. Yeah, it was really the start of of you know of you Jeff Stanton becoming six time, becoming the guy that we know, and it all started in Atlanta and and uh, and then R- I mean literally RJ breaks the wrist the next week, Danny Storbeck and yeah. motocross history is changed. Absolutely for sure. Um, that's unfortunate, but you know yep. unfortunately that's racing. Um, you know, Rick and I are able to talk about that happened and um, yeah, it's crazy things work out. What kind of pressure uh, did you feel? Yeah, you win this one, and then a few days later, RJ goes down, and then the Nationals start, and then I I, I guess you probably knew, and everybody at Honda knew, uh, he's probably going to be out for a while. Like, he's not coming back next week to try to salvage the points lead. Like, I'm assuming you knew pretty quickly he's going to be out for a while. Suddenly, I'm the leader of the team and the points leader. What was it like to process all that? Because that's really fast for that all to happen. It is. It, it just was natural for me because, you know, like I said, Dave Arnold kind of set set me in place there by hiring there, the right people, and spend the six months on RJ and learning all the I see. T- t- tips. So, um, you know, I, I was ready. Uh, you, you don't you don't win a bunch of amateur races and am, amateur national champion having some mental, and so ready to step into play. You know, another thing, which uh, to just put this in perspective, you're only 20, 21 years old, and it's like, oh, you haven't won races yet. But that's partially because, like, you didn't race 125 Supercross. Like, if this was today, a guy of your talent and level, you would have won in the 250F class for a couple of years, and this wouldn't have seemed so shocking. Like, back then, you just started racing the best guys. Like, I guess you were (laughs) 19 years old and getting eighth in a main. That's actually really good, even though maybe it didn't seem that way. Absolutely. Straight. Yeah, that's uh, a good point. 19, yep. 1987, straight in into the 250 Supercross. Yeah. No one, no 125 <laughs> class. And so I go from uh, winning Loretta's to go to Washougal, race the 500 National, and then line up on the line to start Anaheim 1 in 1987 in yeah. the 250 class. Yeah. So uh, on, on Tom Haas in 87 and 88. By the way, you had almost had a big one in the whoops in this one. I don't know if you saw if you caught that. I did. Yeah, I, I did. <laughs> hey, and, and it, like like we said in that interview, whatever it takes, feed yeah. up the pegs, <laughs> right, you right. know, a whiskey throttle, you just make make it happen. So, yeah, yeah it, it's um, all, it's all good. So eighty nine, uh, there's a guy that gets seventh in this race. He's from France. He's on a Honda, and it's and in, in the broadcast they say he's sponsored by Pro Circuit and Roger DeCoster because uh, it was it was <laughs> it was JMB right who kind of famously didn't really get any support from Honda to come over from Europe for this part time eighty nine year. Did you think? Uh, I don't. First of all, in eighty nine, uh, we all know about your relationship later with JMB. It's just epic. But um, in eighty nine, did you have any interaction with JMB at this point? He's a part time guy. No, not not at all. Right. Um, wasn't wasn't even a thought. I mean, he came in and had a couple of huge crashes. He had a huge one in Anaheim. Yep. yep. Uh, and so so no, you, you know, coming from Europe, you didn't have any 
didn't have any indication that he would actually later be a, a champion. Right, right. So uh, at this point, you're not really thinking of him like, huh, this guy's really going to be special or anything. Like, you know, no. he's just, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Did you no, even ride with him? Was he ever at the Hondaland track or anything? When no, he, he he wasn't. I mean, he probably secretly rode out there, but uh, <laughs> never, was, never was there when I was there. Right, right. <laughs> hey, another thing, uh, um, these Atlanta races, when they were in the old baseball stadiums outdoors, I remember they always noted how cold it was. This one yeah. broadcast I watched, they said it's down to 30 degrees or something yeah, like that it, when the main event started. Do you remember that? Absolutely. Freezing cold. I mean, you look at everybody, everybody's got stocking hats on. I mean, that yeah. time of year... Uh, you know, first of March, I mean, it's cold there. I mean, <laughs> we're going to be in Atlanta here in a couple of weeks outdoors. And so yep. uh, they, they could have, they could easily have a mutter there uh, out of one of them three. You know? well, How does I, that affect the track? Like, did it, did the dirt seem different because of the cold? Or did you know, like uh, I, a lot of guys will say, yeah, you're breathing hard and you're sweating, but your hands and stuff can go numb. Like, was that a factor when you were racing these races? Do you remember that? No, it doesn't. you get you you warm up and get your get get a sweat going and it's it's all good. Now, wow. Dr. Medsker, Dr. Medsker, a few of us worked with him. If your hands got cold, he'd put cayenne pepper in your hands and so what? Started, if you were up, cayenne, we put cayenne What? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, well, the the That's why we do this show, man. We just learned something. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Cayenne pepper. Um I uh, I raced amateur day as I said uh, I was there I raced amateur day it was Saturday morning of the race riders meeting was at like five a.m. they had headlights on they had like a circle with cars with their headlights on for riders meeting I'll never forget that I'm just like what is going on here but um, so we raced Saturday morning before the before the pros it was crazy yeah. Yeah. Uh, um uh, also uh, shout out to Sean Kalos who wins a heat race in this Jeff Sean Kalos winning a heat race there was three heats uh, yeah. Uh, I, Sean, Sean, he was a great rider. I mean, I raced the amateur ring. Sean came mm -hmm. up amateur ring. It was, it was a great rider, talented. And, and it's funny, Todd DeHoop and I just talked about Sean Kalos the other night. He's like, man, I raced Sean at that, that in California. He said, it's fast, even still today. So yeah, yeah Sean, Sean was, was he, he was talented. Uh, what'd you do after the race? So you get your first Supercross win. You, uh, RJ's, uh, RJ washed out. Does he congratulate you after the race? Do you guys talk at all? Because in the video, Weege, I don't know if you noticed this, but in the video, like, RJ just kind of rides by like he's pissed. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, you do reach out, and it's like the, yeah. the lamest high five ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just doesn't yeah. really want to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, Larry Myers says something like, hey, he's congratulating Jeff Stanton more like SOB and just on by. Yeah, so yeah. I can, I can, I feel, I, I can feel, it, and it is what. It is. But so after the race, um, you know, you ask what happened, at what I do after that yeah. race. So after that race, I'm sitting in the box van and uh, signing everybody's autographs. And uh, um, the la the last people in line was just this dad, dad and his son. And so I. Uh, he comes up, he says, hi, my name's such and such. This is my boy, Brian. He's, I'm going to say he's like 12 years old at the time. Um, the dad had raced cross country stuff, GNC stuff. And, and the son was blind from birth, just enjoyed going to supercross, loved the excitement and enthusiasm of it. He says, I sit in the stands and, uh, I explain everything to my son. And he's like, mm -hmm. what just happened tonight was unbelievable. We had to come and meet you. And so it's just something that I never really talked about. I talked about it a couple of times in the past, but, uh, now Brian and I we make contact. He's a huge Supercross fan. He know he talks to all these guys. 
and uh, just it was just a, kind of a super emotional night. The way the Supercross played out, and then you had this father and son that comes up to to me, and uh, the son is blind from birth, so he has no idea what a stadium looks like, what a what a what the jumps look like. And he's like, I'm just a super fan. I wanted my son to meet you. And we just, we hit it off. Uh, every year after that, I would go early, meet them for dinner, take them. They'd go with me to the dealer parents. And we just started a, a relationship that uh, how many years later, Brian and I still talked a couple of times a month. He calls me quite often. And we talk about Supercross and we talk about the basketball bracket, the March 10 mm-hmm. madness. He's a super, super knowledgeable sports freak because they just soak all that stuff in. And so he uh, loves to announce baseball games and he just, he just knows everything, you know, that's just, that's that, that, that way of life. And so just establish that relationship that went, went further than any Supercross win um, would ever get you Mm -hmm. that relationship with his family. And so um, that race was super touching. But more importantly, what happened afterwards um, was just carry you on your your life and your friendship on forever. So that that to me, the Supercross win is awesome. Yeah. But th- that night, that was the most important part of that night. Well, I think we know this Brian guy. Yeah, we know Brian. Yeah, yeah we know we Brian. Brian. <laughs> he must have been really young. Like I don't even know. I think he's uh, only in his thirties, so he must have been a real little kid at that point. There you go. So Brian and I are best buds. Wow. And, uh, we met. We met at that, that night, and uh, the family's super great. And uh, I, yeah, I spend as much time as I can when I see him. I, lo- I love him. That, that's awesome. Denny Stevenson said that after his first Supercross win, Team Kawasaki took him up to a strip club. I was hoping for one of those stories, Jeff, but <laughs> I don't. I, I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. So that that's kind of my feel good story from the Atlanta Supercross. Is, right. Uh, is is that is that deal? So absolutely. Big difference between Stanton and, and Stevenson. Yeah, yeah, chicken, <laughs> chicken, and Turner, and everybody took Danny up to the club. But no, you 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 met a you met a guy named Brian and established a lifelong friendship. So absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Anything else, Weege? Yeah, I was going to say, you mentioned uh, switching to Honda there, and I, Mathis and I were bench racing before this. Like, okay, RJ was on Yamaha, he goes to Honda, he gets a lot better. You're on Yamaha, you go to Honda and get a lot better. And I'm like, man, the bikes were really good back then. But Steve made a great point. It, not everybody that was on Honda got, went on to be a Hall of Famer. There were other teammates there that didn't get it done. So it's like there's something about, I guess, taking advantage of that opportunity. It wasn't automatic. You get on this motorcycle, and you're going to be a podium guy and win races. Um some of the credit goes to you and RJ for taking that step because not you had teammates that didn't dominate uh, like you guys did. Yeah, you know, if I look at George Holland and Mickey Diamond, they did outdoors, but they couldn't in Supercross. So right. you have to have all, all, all the pieces of the puzzle get put together. Um, you obviously, you got to work your butt off, and uh, uh, talent will only get you so far. Hard work will get you the rest of the day, and uh, you have the opportunity. You just got to make it all happen. Uh, well, that's awesome, man. Um, really cool race. Your first ever win. Uh, Cooper is exciting the whole night. Um, it's the end of an era in motocross with RJ's injury soon after this. You take on it. This, this race to me. And when we, when Wagon and I were discussing this, it just, it's just a perfect like uh, transition race and it really kicked started everything off. So, yeah. Um, Hey Jeff, I can't tell you how many times at the most random time. Steve has gone up to Danny Bentley to be like, dude, it'll be before opening ceremonies like five years ago. Like no context at all. I'll be like, hey, 
if RJ doesn't get hurt, does the confidence from Atlanta carry over? Do you guys start winning races? Yeah. Steve has asked Danny this <laughs> question a thousand times. Uh, well, okay, because it's just such a sliding door of motocross moment. What happens if RJ doesn't get hurt? Jeff, I, I think, yeah. you know, you, you start winning, but maybe you don't win as much. And then what happens if Bale doesn't quit after 92? Does Jeremy start winning in 93? Like, good God. Good God, it's just yeah. it's it's it blows my mind. So <laughs> it, that's that's why they call it sports. That's yeah. why we we race the race, and that's why we play the game, and that's it. Yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. Uh, thanks for your time, Jeff. Really appreciate it. And Lee at Reraceables podcast. I uh, really appreciate it. Thanks, Jeff. Hey, wait. What about your oh. uh, what about your tours? How's your tours going, man? Is that coming the together? Tour, the tours are doing great. Uh, JeffStantonAdventures.com. Check. Um, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be busy. It's gonna be fun. Uh, got all the pieces of the puzzle put together. We actually start in about five days here in Michigan. I oh. got a group of seven coming. Oh, nice! That are hard adventure guys. Uh, like, dude, all we want to do is ride to Stanton. We want to sleep in tents on the trail. I'm like, <laughs> wait a minute. We're 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 going we're going from an eight thousand foot house on the lake and sitting by a campfire at night, sleeping on the trail. Stanton, are you a wuss? Uh, come on, dude. Are you a wuss? We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna ride. And we're gonna sleep in tents. On hey, that's your dream, bro. We're gonna make it happen. We're, we're gonna do it. I, I swear to God, if I took your tour, Jeff, I would just, you would hate me because I would just start asking so many questions about uh, RJ and Bale and and rollerball. And, good God, it would just be. I would just, I would just. <laughs> It'd be ridiculous. Bradshaw, everything. Yeah. So that's what it's about. Actually, I talked to Damon. I'm going to try to get him to come up and do some, uh, a couple of celebrity rides. Oh, wow. Uh, get, yeah. get RC to come up and do some and, uh, you know, throw some celebrity rides in there and, yep. and, and, and sell some of them. I think it'd be fun to do. Uh, oh, come yeah. Up and hang out, hang out with a, a couple of different stars. People would love it. That's awesome. Jeff Stanton uh, Tours. Jeff Stanton Tours, right? Adventures, Jeff Stanton Adventures. Jeff, Jeff Stanton Please check that out. It sounds like an awesome time. Uh, thanks for your time, Jeff. No, guys, thank you. Well, thanks to Jeff Stanton on the Lee at Reraceables, uh, presented by Maxis and Blenzall. As usual, we each, uh, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Yeah, uh, Blenzall, by the way, is good stuff also. And Maxis Tires, good stuff. Lee at, they're all good. That's all good stuff. Yep. Um, I cannot believe this small world thing, Brian. Uh, who right? Stanton met at this race. We know Brian. I mean, I literally, I know Brian so well. Uh, Brian lives in Atlanta still, so I knew him. I met him through the DMXS guys who were down there in Atlanta. Original, and still I'm, best. Original, still best. Yep. yep, best podcast in the business. Um, yeah, I'm texting Brian this morning about the GNCC, uh, and then there's Stanton. I'm like, no way. Don't yeah. even tell me it's going to be the same guy. I know. I didn't want to interrupt him there. I didn't want to bring it, but yeah. Who knew? I'm like, it's going to be Brian. It's going to be Brian. I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's Brian. Right. So I literally, as Stan was telling me the story, I text Brian, and I'm like, we are doing a podcast. And right now, Six Time is telling us the story of meeting you. That's hilarious. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know what, though? Uh, uh, Jeff gives RJ a lot of credit there, you know, as far as living with, like, hey, come come live yeah. with me, you know, everything else. Yep. So, um, yep. yeah, big big moment uh, in, in, like I said, big moment in American motocross history. Thanks to Jeff Stanton for joining us on the Lee at Reraceables podcast. Yeah. Uh, category time? Should we do categories? Is, is it time? Uh, yeah, I want to give one more shout-out okay. to Cooper here. All right. right. Here's what's refreshing when you watch these old races. Um, everything is so homogenized now. Everybody that races, remember I mentioned the lap riders in these heats are, like, way off because yeah. they probably haven't even ridden a Supercross yeah. track. Yep. Now, no one is coming in 
with that level of unpreparedness. There are supercross tracks. No matter where you live, you can find one. Um, Guy Cooper's crazy style. I think it's a reflection of this was still supercross have been around 15 ish years at this point. Yep. But the whole system of how you were raised and what races you were I don't like Cooper didn't do amateur stuff. He just showed up. What was the story? It was like on a Honda Civic, him and his wife. Yeah. 125 yeah, Nationals. Yeah, yeah, 84 or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he was just fast. So Cooper is a throwback to there wasn't a perfected way that everybody did it. Like you still had dudes that just showed up and rode whatever it's their style happened mm-hmm. to be and just made it happen. Uh, which you would just never get anymore. And you know what? Maybe A-Ray, whose story is ridiculous, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. is the closest to that, where he's just like, I'm going to just figure out a way to go fast. Yep. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, Lee, re-raceables categories. Um, who really won the race? Category one, who really won the race? Well, it's Jeff Stanton. He won the race, and he really won the race. This was a big moment, right? Is that your? Do you have a different somebody else? Yes, we don't always lame out and pick the actual winner of the race as the actual winner of the race right. in our category. But, dude, Jeff Stanton goes from never having won a Supercross to winning his first one and then seven days later becomes the leader of the free world of motocross. So, uh, yeah, I think that's a win. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, who's that guy award uh, is just somebody in either result, either class uh, that we, you know, no idea what's going on. Uh, my pick, Chuck Reed. <laughs> from Ohio, twelfth, one twenty-five main event. Chad's cousin, Chad's illegitimate brother. Oh, really? I don't, I don't know. Chuck Reed. Don't know anything about Chuck Reed, but shout out for twelfth, legit twelfth. When I look at the main event from the race, uh, either main event, I know something about every single guy in every class in each class. I can tell you something about them, except for Chuck Reed, who got twelfth. Yeah, I think there's one other name. Mike Morris, 17th in the 125, man. I don't think I've heard of him. Okay. I, I thought uh, I thought I had, but yeah. Okay. Every other guy, I could tell a story of the other guy. 22nd in the 125, man, is Sean Dukes mm-hmm. out of Georgia. Talked to the DMXS guys, like my buddy Kevin Kelly, Sean Dukes. Unbelievable fast as like a local amateur guy. Yep. Uh, 18th is a guy named Barry Karsten. That's a really oh. bad result for Barry. What yeah. What happened there? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, Barry. Multiple crashes for Barry. Shout out yep. to uh, Carl Valancourt. First, fifth, Canada's own, Rollerball winning the semi, uh, Shane Drew uh, being there getting lapped, Bill Wallen, shout out Bill Wallen, 11th, right ahead of Chuck Reed, also Canadian, so big moment for, for O Canada, Atlanta 89. Um, if anyone knows Chuck Reed or his story, reach out to us, 12th in the 125 main, I've never yep. heard of him. Uh, do, yep. you, do you have anybody else, though, Weech? That's it, right? It's got to be Chuck Reed. <laughs> Chuck Reed, absolutely. Right. Uh, <laughs> all right, so that's the Who's That Guy Award. Uh, Lit Kid Award. Dude, RJ looked good. His first year back at JT, he's a big, big deal. Switches from Fox to JT um, in for 89. Um, he looks good. Yeah, I got to go RJ or maybe Kalos, JT red and white on the uh, Yamaha winning the heat. That's my let kid award. What's up with the JT bra sized, sports bra sized chess pro that RJ I wore? I don't know. It, it, <laughs> It was originally made for quads because you think about a quad, you're sitting down and you're hunched over, right? And you're like oh. moving the quad and your belly, okay. maybe your belly's a bit bigger because you're on a quad. Oh, uh, Steve. No, for reals. So they made this half thing. Um, but RJ ran it. My buddy Trevor ran it too. 
My buddy Trevor had one. Um, I don't really know, but it was a long back with a short yeah. pff, top. I, I I don't know, but I, <laughs> whatever it is, RJ still made it look good to me. No, he did. He did. Like I, I, as you and I, we we fundamentally disagree on the JT thing. I was never big on the JT thing. Um, so in '89, I, I don't realize this. Is JT what you consider still going strong? I mean, yes, yes. RJ is the top guy, and yeah. they get him back. Yeah, exactly. So, exactly. So when does it go sideways for JT? Like it goes sideways. Like the, when one year later? No, Bale wins in '91. In '92, oh, he, he goes to Taichi. Uh, it starts going south around '92. Wow, man, that is a quick. That's almost as quick a transition as uh, this mm-hmm. Stanton going from no one to someone. Right. Gosh, uh, almost JT almost replaced simultaneously by Axo. It's like the moment right. Axo gains, yeah. JT's <laughs> gone. Like Fox is always there. Yeah, always there. Right. Wow. Uh, Lit kit for me, eighty nine and ninety. I thought answer gear looked so good, and especially with Suzuki guys. Uh, I think it looked better in yellow. Omera was wearing some blue yeah. in this one. Yep. Still good. Omera in the yellow kit. Um, you even see it in 90. Larry Ward had some of it when he was on Suzuki. I think answer gear was so on point, uh, 89-90. So I'm going with Omera. Yeah, Hannah wore the yellow uh, answer oh, yeah. uh, and looked good on yep. it too. Um, yep. All right, sounds good. Uh, speaking of JT, our next category is where's JT? Jason Thomas, because uh, we always uh, bring it around to him. He's at this race because we know he's in Atlanta 90. Because we see him jumping, doing jumping jacks on the side of the track. Cheering for RJ. Cheering for RJ when RJ takes the lead. We, we, we have that on video. You can go back, and I think it's 42 minutes in, if I remember right. There's a little kid in a camel camel smoke, camel smoke cigarettes jacket. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Uh, doing jumping jacks when RJ takes the lead off the side of the track. That is JT. Uh, but he is also at this race as well, because Frank's refing and Cindy scoring and whatever else is going on. So JT and I were there. We were, I was in the stands. I might have run across a young JT. Maybe we started arguing. Well, that is my question. That is my question. So, look. So, JT is there because his parents are working in some level as officials or yep. something? Yep. Okay. And you were there. You rode Amateur Day on the same day within the same time period. Yeah. So, is there not a chance that the amateur thing is going on and JT is being paraded around following his parents who are running the results scoring type part of the God knows. Or right. Yeah. Yeah. And you and JT literally bumped into each other at like age 12 there's a possibility yes there's a possibility oh my god this could forget the fact that stanton wins this race and takes over the sport maybe the most monumental part is that this could be the day that you and jt meet for the first time (laughs) i never thought you realize this yeah i just it's kind of sinking in right now to be honest here yeah what's the date uh february 25th 1989 all right mark it down all right february 25th 1989 Mathis and JT bump shoulders at some point. Start arguing. Start arguing. Start arguing. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, so that's where's JT. Uh, he's there. He's there at Fulton County Stadium. And uh, by the way, as as the I said in the interview with Stanton, it's cold. And uh, and the announcers talk about it. And I remember being really cold for sure. So, um, did you just have shorts and uh, cargos? And yeah, flops yeah. anyway. One hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. Last categories for the re-raceables is the Jacob Marsak Award um, for the guy who did the best that you never thought about and will never got talked about or anything else. Um, kind of a tougher category for this one. I would go Kalos with the heat race win and eighth in the main. I could go Carl Valancourt for fifth as a full privateer in 125 main. Um, I could be convinced. I could. You could go with Jim Chester getting 10th. 
or Dale Spangler, our buddy Dale Spangler, getting ninth. Yeah. Um, Jason Upshaw leading a little bit. I don't know, Weege. I Tough to go on places for the Jacob Marsak Award. I, I might go Kalos because he won a 250 heat, which is a big deal. Obviously, RJ wasn't in it in his heat, or Stanton wasn't, but I think Stanton wasn't in that heat. But anyways, good job for Sean Kalos and top 10 in the main event. Yeah, you mentioned that heat. It was a weird deal. Stanton wins the main, but in the heat race, he was third, and he could not gain on Kalos or JMB. He just, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm wondering if he got a tongue lashing from uh Bentley or 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 DeCoster or somebody. Yeah. Like geez. Yeah. Yeah. Um my winner of that award Jacob Marsack Award. Yep. Jacob Marsack Award uh is Jeff Frizz, who I was a privateer, longtime privateer guy. Uh me and my buddy Kevin Kelly, we use that name all the time as like a placeholder of like random privateer guy. Uh we use the Jeff Frizz name all the time. Frizz, if you watch his style on the Cowie it is god awful. It's not good. It is. Yep. It is not good. I mean, he is basically just sitting on the back of the bike. But again, in like 1989, at that level, like you could watch a couple of guys. You know, Osho looked good, and and Lachine looked good, and RJ looked good. But when you go back to the privateer guys, like some of them look horrible. So yep. Frizz, the style looks bad, but he makes the main no problem, and he finishes 18. Yep. Yeah, I, I would go Frizz. Uh, that's that's a good one. Frizz, a longtime Suzuki guy. And uh, I think this was his first year on Cowies in 89, I believe. Yeah, riding so. style's bad. I'm, and this is my point. Yeah, Jeff Frizz was around a while, solid, good privateer guy. But the point I'm making is the difference in 18th in 89, Yeah. the the, the level of riding yes. style. Yeah. Now, who who gets 18th now? Like, freaking Chiz. Chiz. <laughs> chiz? Right. Like, yeah. well, I don't even want to use Chiz because Chiz is going to be like, well, Chiz is just solid privateer guy anyway. I'm saying Oh, okay, that yeah. That could be a red. Like that could be a guys. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, couldn't Tickle or McElrath or yes. Freezy? Of course. They yeah. can get 18th? Yes. All day long. Yeah. 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 Uh, Larry Ward, by the way, makes a couple of appearances. Larry's a 125 rider and jumping in the 250 class, which I didn't really realize Larry did that. He was not full-time 250s at the point. He got 11th. Big Bird. Yeah, I think he raced 125 west, so he was here yeah. racing 250. Yep. Uh, and, yeah, I think he got a good start. I think he was up there. Yep, yep. 971. Uh, Rollerball gets lapped in the main. Uh, mm. Saddens me greatly. Uh, 14th for him. Of course, Barnett's crashed out. So that saddens me greatly as well. So, yeah. It's that. Rollerball. I cannot even tell. Is he running an open face helmet? No. Okay. No, he's got the answer bolt on face. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I thought maybe he was the very last holdout. Um, I think the last I holdout wonder. was Jeff Ward. I really think the last holdout was was, was Wardy. Right, Ward wore a open face in '88, and then when he came back from injury in '89, he finally had like a showy, like real, yep, full face helmet. And I think that was the end. So I was wondering, I'm like, oh, Wardy even switched full face in '89. It looked to me like Roller was no. not, but no, Roller had a full face. I wish he had a full face on when he got thrown through the window, and then could have, you know, <laughs> everything else, but. <laughs> Well, good times. Atlanta '89. Um, anything else? Uh, it. I, I. I hope everyone understands why we we have we have fun with the Cooper riding style and crashes. But on a serious note, this really comes down to the sport. I know people want to complain now about you know Dunge and Villapoto retired early and careers don't last very long. You folks have no idea how quickly things changed. And like you're saying about Bomber who yeah. retired at what age? Yeah, 25, whatever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the age that Bomber comes back here when it was useless, the, the, the comeback did not work. 
is an age where many riders are still racing at a high level yeah. right now. He's probably yeah. like Eli Tomac's age, right. isn't he? Yeah, something like that, right? And oh, Well, you remember, we've talked about this before. Hannah's an old goat at 28. Hannah, oh, 28 yeah. years old. How Just, can he do it? Yeah. Old bones at 28. <laughs> uh, the transition of everything happening so quickly from RJ dominating at the beginning of 89 to McGrath taking over in 93, that is four years that feels like 30. Yeah. The yeah. amount of Yep. I'm going to say the amount of shit that went down. Yeah. Between 89 and 93. Yep. It's unreal. And even as you said earlier off the track with promotion and Supercross series and getting it together. The amount of shit that happened there. From, oh, yeah. from Mickey yeah, Thompson exactly. getting murdered to Gary Hamill Becker coming, coming in, in and, and everybody else coming in. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um the stability, I mean if you look at a race from 2021 and you look at a race from 2017 or 2016, it's pretty much all the same, yep. and it's a lot of the same guys. Yep, yep. Uh, you would not, if you were watching this race in 89, and then they gave you a time machine to watch a race from four years beyond that, you'd be like, what yep. the hell is going on? Where's Bale? Where's, <laughs> where's RJ? Where's where, anybody? Where's everybody? <laughs> where's anybody, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so just a crazy time uh, in the sport and uh, quite quite memorable. But look, this is the ultimate question, right? And this is what I said with you and uh, when we had Stanton on the line. We will never have the answer of how would Stanton versus RJ RJ have gone? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, after this win and after he got this confidence, they never got to race really heads up because uh, RJ got hurt. Yep, absolutely. No, you're totally right. Um, great race, and thanks to Jeff Stanton for coming on. Um, yep. Liet, Maxis, Blenzel, all on board with us. Thank you, people, for listening. Great feedback from these on social. People really like them, so we, we, we we're going to keep on doing them for you. And uh, most of all, thanks, Weege. Oh, we could go on for another hour. These are these are great times, man. And if you have a suggestion, yeah, if you have a suggestion for a race, uh, DM us on Instagram or whatever and uh, take a look at it. So. Yep. And if you know who Chuck Reed is, send us a message. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Weech. See ya.